0: welcome to the serious tv drama podcast i'm scott and joining me tonight well, if I'm Yogi, then he's Boo Boo. And if he's Piglet, well that makes me Pooh. <laughs> so here's Brian. Well, you know, Pooh
1: is a bear. So, apropos of the moment, although although
0: that sound effect might have been unbearable. To most. Bears are aggressive but kind. Well, and they do, you know, certain things in the woods I hear. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, it was linked to the bareness of it. I'm sorry when I wrote the word poo. I just, I hate the word when it means, you know, take a crap, but a chance to use a sound effect I couldn't resist. <laughs> so, Brian, we are finally back. We, we basically skipped June. <laughs> oh, June has been quite the month for both of us. Um, but luckily, um, as tumultuous as life can be, we do have TV to rescue us or to take us away, like Calgon and those old TV commercials. Um, I was debating telling a really stupid story <laughs> to begin this podcast, but part of me thinks there's something so blandly boring about it, and it lacks visuals, that maybe if I feel like it, I'll do it at the end of the podcast. And if I don't, kids, don't worry. You didn't miss anything. I'm just... I haven't had enough to drink to say "fuck it" and I'll will do it now. But <laughs> maybe by the end of the podcast, I'll do it.
1: I think you should be like the stand-up that goes in and tries to tank in front of other stand-up stand-ups because that's funny, and, and and you know, and once you see the crowd sucks, then they tell like that they really bomb on purpose. Oh, absolutely! If, I'm, I'm going to Norm Macdonald.
0: This think that, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah,
1: Norm Macdonald roast.
0: Level, yeah, exact, ex- oh, exactly, exactly. I love this Probably ninety percent of people will watch that clip and not get the joke, and it's like, and but the really smart people that, or the real comedians, comedians, they all get the joke of being that bad. So bad, it's good. Speaking of so bad, it's good. That really applies to this podcast most of the time. And we have finally made our way back to STVD studios, or really the desktops in our respective homes, which are, what, 700 miles apart? Mm -hmm. Like I said, we did skip June. And you know what? It could have been even longer. But back on June 22nd, fx slash hulu and by the way i still am not clear on the whole idea. is it that fx is is has a partnership with hulu so some of their programming just goes directly to hulu but it still has the fx brand is that but that's i i think it's
1: like uh, my take on it is like game manufacturers that have like playstation exclusives you know or xbox exclusives that there are programs that go to fx on hulu
0: okay because, you know, they have a few. Let's get to it. We're talking about how on June 22nd they did drop the second season of The Bear. Now, The Bear, or as, you know, people from Chicago refer to it, The Bear, uh was discussed <laughs> to some extent last year. Now, Brian, you were not able to be on the Best of 2022 podcast, but I do recall that you sent your list to me, which I did share on the podcast, and you had season one of The Bear as your number four series of the year. Now I, I actually had it at number three. Basically, we both had it behind, um, the final season of Better Call Saul and the first season of Severance. You just popped the second season of Reservation Dogs over it. I had, right. I had those doggies down a little further down at number five. So very similar tops of our lists. And I was, when I was looking at our respective lists, I started realizing just, just from the past Couple few years, the most eclectic or interesting comedy series or dramedy series or whatever you want to call some of these shorter format television series, they all seem to come from the FX or FXX or whatever Hulu factory. I mean, you can say that, you know, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, Train started this whole like 18 years ago. But I'm thinking more of more recent things like the aforementioned Reservation Dogs, not to mention one of your favorites, I think it was High on Your List, Atlanta, which came to an end last year. You know, What We Do in the Shadows, of course. Archer is still plugging around, for God's
1: sake. Right. And sort of, for me, like, the one I thought sort of kicked it off, uh, that sort of the, I mean, It's Always Sunny is its own sort of Thing. It's it's kind of like the Simpsons of live-action. Yes at this point um, But I, I sort of think what sort of went this weird way was when when they did Louie Which I, I, I don't even know if you could see now because of everything with Louie CK. Yeah, you're
0: right I didn't think about yeah Louie and then you also had was it is it better things which was kind of uh, yeah the, 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 the actress from that show she went and did her own thing um, Yeah, actually I forgot because of all the stuff that's happened with Louis C.K. over the years, I-, I totally forgot about that. And I was a huge fan of both him and that show until, well, you know. So, yeah. And then, but, but, but now, with the, the current shows now, The Bear, I feel it does have a definite kinship with shows like Atlanta and Reservation Dogs specifically. Um, they kind of both fall, all three at, t- more often than not fall into that category of you question whether they should be called a comedy or not. Um, and, but to differentiate between from the other two, I think there's definite moments of drama on all three, be it teary or tense or whatever, but I don't think the other two tend to have quite as much of the breakneck intensity that a number of bear episodes have had, uh, just in in, in these past two seasons. It's, It's kind of one of the things the show has become known for. Um, and I'm not taking away from the quality of the other two by any stretch of the imagination. Um, between ourselves and, and every critic in America, they have received you know accolades up the yin yang. Um, the thing with the bear, for me at least, I'm just. I guess I should only speak for myself, of course. I just feel the bear just tends to pack just a bit more of a gut punch um, compared to the other two. I might get emotionally affected by the other, especially Reservation Dogs, especially the, the last season. But oh, the the, the bear sometimes. <laughs> Especially this season, um it feels like someone just just literally ripped open my guts and just spilled them on the floor. I'm just staring at them like, "Oh, that's me so it it's it's no wonder that we're doing this podcast because it 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 regardless of the fact that this podcast is called serious t v drama, obviously many times we cover things which don't necessarily fall under that, but I think this show quite often does it it quite often is very serious. And I think quite often it's more of a drama than it is a comedy, quite frankly. Yeah,
1: it, it is with with comedy sprinkled throughout you know like a fine I mean like a fine ingredient it's right you know a hint of saffron or uh, but but yeah, I, I think uh, it it uh, it kind of dropped out of nowhere last year right And because it did like the you know full drop and, and surprisingly they did it again this year. Um, it, it sort of came out of nowhere and wasn't as, uh, heralded and and it was really hard to tell what it was. And I think, you know, what all of us have talked about at various times is, um, you know, we've seen shows set in a restaurant, we've seen people trying to make a business run, but I don't know there's ever been a show that goes behind, The door of the restaurant and spends most of its time in the kitchen and to basically take, you know, like a 20 by, you know, 20 space and make it like the sort of the main set of a show with obviously not that being all of it. But that sort of being the centerpiece of of a show uh, was pretty was a pretty bold move. Uh, but when they're in there, I, th- I think the, the way I describe this show is, is when, they're in, when they're in the kitchen, they're trying to make you feel the pressure of, of, of good service, of what it means to you know, be successful and run a restaurant and what that means and all that's hidden from us outside the door, and you know, many of the shots in the show are going into the door and letting you behind the door to see what's happening, and it's been really, really effective and become one of my
0: favorite shows. Right, and, and it's interesting, you should point that out, and I'll probably be repeating this in a, in a moment or two, um, that was very much the feeling and focus of season one, and one of the really um, things that in my opinion, make season two actually leap well past season one. So opposite of sophomore slump, this show, I think just blew, blew season one out of the water, quite frankly. And I love season one, clearly number three on my list because they already knew they had like the kitchen stuff. They already got that in their back pocket this season. They didn't need to do that. And they didn't. I mean, we certainly spend time in that and many kitchens but it's, it's kitchens around the world <laughs> and just other places and other things. They really they really just expanded their universe and expanded the characters in a way that really built on season one in a really lovely way. Um, so, again, hence why we're doing the podcast.
1: Right. It, <laughs> and, I, and I think the metaphor of the end of the season of we're going to completely do away with the restaurant we've spent the whole season in was a great metaphor to tell the viewer like it's going to season two is going to be different, but it's still going to be a restaurant like, right. right. Um, so it sort of gave you the mental preparation that, that there are going to be some changes. And this was, this whole season sort of built to what is the new restaurant and what, what does each character's journey have to be to make it a new restaurant and a better restaurant.
0: Right. And, j- and to remind any of the listeners who maybe the last time they saw season one was, you know, last year, and maybe they didn't watch the recap. That if I'm assuming there was a recap of the season. Maybe there wasn't. Season one did leave off with a resolution to a plot point. Maybe a few questions. Most didn't. Uh, whereas the money that Carmi's dearly departed brother Mikey had borrowed turns out to have been stashed away inside all these dozens of cans of tomato paste. And as you just referenced, Carmi makes that decision to close the beef and use this sauce fall of cash as seed money to open an all-new restaurant which would then be called the bear so this new season but and i love and one of the things i love about the show is that i can attack it um, not attack the show not <laughs> tackle it is what i mean to say not attack tackle it from both a uh, from from the two major things i look for in every television series Plot-wise, plot-wise, this is about the trials and tribulations of a family, both in the literal sense, as far as blood relations, as well as one one would call maybe a work family. Try, trying to open a new restaurant. And while we definitely get our fill of delicious food, we get liberated from that kitchen I had mentioned, that we spent so much time zipping around back in season one. We travel all around the city of Chicago. We travel all around the world to Copenhagen. We even travel back in time with a really, truly monumental flashback episode. But... What makes this show exceptional, which puts it above a lot of, which makes it a top tier show, Brian, you might say. Yeah. Uh, and you know, no, I agree. It is. No one's singing around a fireplace in this one. Um, it was a character centric season in so many ways yeah. and, and well beyond the stories of the obvious, like Carmi or even Sydney. Although we did learn so much more about them. Richie has a hugely powerful story arc that elevates him, not just as a character, but as a vital part both of this series and of the business on the show itself. right? I mean, he, Richie's always been family
1: in, in you know, spirit, but not really a member of the family. Um, but by the end of this season, you know, you get a sense that in the kitchen, like, like he is a part of the family now.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, and, and as you filter through the cast, you do, we get to see other shadings and spend quality time with the likes of Marcus and Tina, even sugar, how even her, um, I Guess he's her boyfriend, Pete. I don't think he's officially her fiance. I'm not clear on that. Even he gets a really major and unexpected moment to shine this season. But and I warned you about this ahead of time. But before we get into any episode specifics and bring us away, and even more here, I want to give an early shout out to someone on this series who I don't think gets remotely enough appreciation and flowers. And I don't mean anybody that I've already mentioned so far. And nor do I mean any of the special or surprise guest stars that all brought their a game to this series, because no one phones it in when they're appearing on The Bear, apparently. Now, I want to give recognition to an actor, been a bit of character actor, TV and films, I'll say for about 35-ish years now. It's been around a bit. Um, I'm not even going to bother listing all the series that he's been part of at one time or another. That could take up an entire podcast alone. He has shown up on at least a couple series that have been discussed on this podcast over the years. He can do comedy, he can do drama, which is probably what made him a perfect fit for this series. And we were comically chatting about someone who could play you in a, <laughs> in a future TV show, Brian. He's someone else who might be able to play you. I mean, he, he might. He, might. he, he could he grow might. a beard. You already know where I'm going with this, Michael. Oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. glad you picked up on it. I, I'm, I'm going to guess, is it, are, are you down with OPP? Yeah, you got it. Because I am talking about Oliver Platt, who plays Uncle Jimmy or Cicero. It's a pivotal role on this show. Number one, he's a key cog in the plot engine. He's the one who puts up the addition He puts up the additional money to get the restaurant going, not to mention where that original money came from, while looming as the person who will take it all away and sell off the property if the venture fails. But he services the character building of so many others this season, be it Richie, be it Sugar, Carmy, of course, and other family members that we we meet in a very special episode of The Bear. I just think he's stupendous. And while there has yet to be any character on the series that I don't find compelling and watchable, which is why the show is... I rank it as high as I do now. I think any and every scene that features Platt just automatically merits a gold star. It's like that star writing that Sydney dreams about for the restaurant. I mean, w- either, either it's a turn of a phrase, uh, a, a look on his face. I think it's some of his best work. Um, and what's so great about it is that it always feels effortless but it feels real and many of the people on the show are people that we most like myself might not necessarily recognize from anything else they might have been appeared on a number of other things over the years who knows but most most of the cast we don't we don't actually know oliver platt's a face we all know yeah it and it doesn't matter because it just he seamlessly is that character and I buy everything he does and everything he says. You know, it's it's and it's it, it's different than it saying like I'm not. I wouldn't compare it to say like say when you watch them where, where Christopher Walken shows up. Oh, it's Christopher Walken. It's it's you know it's guaranteed fun. It's because he is this character, and he, it's so it's just so perfect for this show. I, I just he's a I feel like he's a nice little linchpin. So so often. And he's an, he's interesting. There's even points in the show where you know, yes, he looms as a possibility of he can take everything away, but as he says in one very significant scene, he doesn't want to do that. He wants right. them to succeed. So it makes him a very unique character as well. I, I just wanted to give him a big shout out. Now he'll get he'll be, he'll be talked about it in a couple episodes later as well. But I just wanted to say it from the top.
1: Well, I, I agree with you, and there, there are two things, two main things I think about him. Uh, and I thought about him a lot last night because I rewatched episode six last night um, to prepare for the podcast. And uh, I, it it seems like after the death of their father, um, that he's sort of the glue of of this family because all of them at various points in this season and even last season like he's sort of the person they go to for the advice you'd go to if you had a healthy relationship with your father or mother. Um, And the other really cool thing I think about his character is it's never explicitly said, but it's heavily implied he's in waste management. Yes. um, That he, it's, he never plays that in a way that I have seen played before right. um he he plays it in a very understated way uh, and to, to sort of bounce off what you said i think the difference between christopher walken coming on and doing a walk-on role like in severance and we love severance is like there's still always a christopher walken to his performance yes oliver platt is completely different in this than other stuff you've seen him in that it's you know you can't peg down an oliver platt
0: right uh, center of gravity the way you can't walk in. Right. I mean, just like for a show that we talked about on this podcast, think of him on Fargo and his character here. The um, night and day, night and day. Um, so getting to the series itself now, just to be clear, my, my thinking of how we were going to approach this podcast, because I didn't want it to be one of our 18 hour marathon ones. Um, just so the listeners are aware of this. We are not, going to be going over all 10 episodes of the season i mean we could but uh, nah. doesn't mean someone here might not mention things that happen in other episodes some of the some there are significant things that happen in episodes that i'm not choosing to focus on you know we we could spend five minutes talking about tina doing karaoke in that scene and, and how beautiful and brilliant that was and now but you know what now i've mentioned it so now i don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll probably wait till the end of the podcast if we feel like chiming in on what our favorite of the season has been. I do see in all the reactions on social media and so on, there's been a bit of a showdown for most viewers between two episodes of this show, both of which we will be discussing, of course. Um, and those episodes happen to be back-to-back. And speaking of back-to-back, that's actually a pattern I noticed, and it's how I'm going to approach uh, this discussion. I tended to pair up episodes. so We're actually going to be talking about six different episodes over the course of this podcast. And each of those pairs are, are, are lined up. You know, episodes three and four, which were Sunday and Honeydew, six and seven, which, of course, uh, are fishes and forks. Well, That's going to be fun for me to say. And finally, the final two, which are Omelette and The Bear. So that's how we're going to approach this. And we'll do some maybe some fun stuff at, towards the end of the podcast. But that just so everyone knows what they have in store for them uh i don't know if i'm going to bother doing chapters on this i'm think i'm going to save myself the trouble cuz if you're listening to the podcast then you've listened you've watched the entire series you don't need to go wait when do they talk about forks like trust me we're going to talk about it Ugh, you be- right. people with the forks fork off anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay so brian should i should i get started with episode 3 or is there anything else you want to hit us with the with the
1: No, I'd I'd just add to what you said, and that is that that don't take this, don't take the structure we've chosen as saying like you should skip any of the episodes. Like watch all ten. The we're centering this the discussion around like the emotional heft of the story and what what we thought hit us the hardest. And while you know episode one and two and some of the other episodes uh, didn't maybe land and a blow they sort of were the jabs that set up the right cross later in the in the season so so don't skip them
0: no of course not and 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 i i am aware i actually like the fact that i am not starting with the first episode of the season i I could have i certainly and some might say you should have Nah, because everyone who's listening you've already watched it you're fine We're, we're we're bouncing over to episode three Episode three, which, as I said, was Sunday. And let me note that that episode was directed by Joanna Kahlo and co-written by Karen Joseph Adcock and Catherine Shatina. I think that's how knows. her name is pronounced. I note that these are all women, which works even better once we get past the first couple scenes. This becomes a very Sydney-centric episode. But not that you should sleep on those early, too early scenes because they give us some nice, even I would say important, character-building moments, some of which pay off later on in this season. Um, we start with Carmi in group therapy as he talks about trying to learn not to wait for that other shoe to drop, even though you and I and he, we all know it eventually will, and it certainly does. And we also get Richie dropping off his daughter at her mom's house. And this is us getting a chance to see his relationship with really too cute too funny for words daughter but we get a nice sense of how he feels about her his ex and his ex wife whom we will also be meeting later on in the series but then we go to sydney and carmi experimenting with food and then they make a decision to cleanse their palate by hitting other eating establishments for inspiration and so on. And Carmi subsequently decides to help his new, but not new gal Claire in his, um, with a major favor. From that point on, the focus of the episode shifts to Sydney and. What I want to say, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna bounce it over to you, Brian. Uh, one of the things I find fascinating about this episode, and about the series in general, at times, and why I, I really marvel at it, um, they don't necessarily adhere to what a. And when I when I okay when I use the word formulaic, I don't mean that as a negative, because ninety nine percent of the scripts you see for whatever you're watching are follow a certain formula. It's just the, the, the the nature of the structure. It's just how stories are told. This is an episode that breaks that. We have, you know, we start off with, you know, like a scene, a scene, a scene of Carmi, a scene of Richie, scene of Carmi and Sydney. And then it pretty much also just becomes Sydney's episode from that point on until the very end. That, that's kind of a very lopsided, strange format. For, for for any for an episode of any television show but it but with this show and when they do unconventional things like that and it's going to be interesting because the the two big episodes that get talked about are, are almost the opposite of one another in that sense actually which is probably why they're they're it's great to have them back to back that way but i think the unconventionality of how they approach um Structure here in a sh- you know the, the fact that we're watching a show that feels more drama feels like a dramedy with just bits of comedy sprinkled in like a like a seasoning as you said, but it's in a shorter format. Although they can play with the format, it could be they had an episode in season one that was twenty minutes long. They have an episode this season, which is over an hour long. <laughs> you know, they, that, they, that maybe it's the, maybe it being a Hulu shoe that a Hulu shoe. Wow. A Hulu show. <laughs> they have that liberty. And maybe that's why it's an FX Hulu show as opposed to just be on FX. Although I'm going to say it might be due to the use of one word, which gets used <laughs> almost as much as on succession. On yeah. The show. <laughs> might be more. So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll take a step back. And if, if you wanted to, uh, step in and, and talk about this one a little bit first. Um, I I like when we get a little more Sydney, because I
1: think uh, the actor just has a wonderfully innocent, like inviting face that looks open and curious and looks like, you know, wide eyed. And she's a good counterpoint to Carmi, who always looks, you know, um like put up on, frazzled, stressed. So I think, you know, going with her and watching her enjoy food. But we introduced for the first time with her, like, the sense of frustration with him. And we, you know, now she's not blowing her top. But she's clearly frustrated with him because they were supposed to go together. And this was their thing to go. But she just goes out and does it and goes to all these places and tastes all these things. And I'll tell you, man, this show, like the food... But it shows like that. I mean, it's just unbelievable, like all the places she visits and showing the bites she takes and things she's trying. I mean, this shows a love letter to food. I mean, it, it really is. And um, I love watching her journey. And I'll sort of say uh, sort of a sort of a performance that caught me off guard because I didn't realize it as we follow her throughout the season is I was kind of shocked about the second or third time I saw her dad. I didn't realize who it was. And finally, it dawned on me. And here's another actor doing something that's, I, I don't want to say completely unexpected because Robert Townsend's not a dummy, but I, I don't know that, you know, that in my mind, I saw him as this older father looking out for his daughter and wanting what's best for her. Um, and really, their relationship um, is a nice thing throughout. The, the series um, you know, wanting to be supportive, but afraid for her and uh, and seeing as she's going on, she's starting to get worried is, is am I making the right decision? Is this guy going to bail on me? Like, can, can he pack it or not? Uh, but I, you know, I love her. I think much like Oliver Platt as sort of one of the, you know, supporting characters maybe gets overlooked. I think as a lead
0: actor, you know she doesn't get enough love. Right, right, right. I I, I would agree with that. Um, it's interesting because when you were at the beginning of your uh, spiel about her, referring to um, how she appears, and there's that it's almost because she's very youthful in appearance, and there's almost almost a wide eyed innocence quality to her. But what she, but everything she says, undercuts that. Because she, that is not the way she talks, you know, right. which I find fascinating about her. It, it's what really, I mean, she can bring the snark perhaps more than anyone else or has issues with people more than anyone else. Um, but, but usually and she can be right. She could be wrong. Uh, I, I adore her as a character and the interactions and the relationship that we get to see with her father and yeah it it took me at least an episode uh when he when I think it was the second time that Robert Townsend appears I was like who is that it's driving me uh, so crazy was- and then I was like wait a minute and I did think is that Robert Townsend I haven't seen him in-. and then I looked him up and I was like oh okay that is him like, yeah why, why, why am I not just watching the end credits don't they I'm just skipping to the next episode that's why <laughs>
1: Play. Well, I, I I'll just add i will book in this because I don't think I said it b- the best. Everything I said that you played off of I I'm not taking any of that back. But I think I think that the important thing about her is she is the optimism. Like she is um and when that starts to crumble because she's excited and she's a believer and she's pouring herself into this, I think um, you know, she's sort of more optimistic. I think Carmi believes that he's just going to work hard to make it happen, but she's more sort of the dreamer optimist at this point, And that's a good person for him to have, because right. I think if you look at him and Michael, he probably was her to Michael.
0: Hmm. Okay. I can see that. Uh, I, it is at the same time. It's also important to note that between the two of them, if this fails, Carm, Carmi fe- seems more likely to recover. She's questioning that she could go through this again because of, and, and, you know, which, which is sad because she's fa- even compared to Carmi, she's fairly young to feel that way. And she has that conversation with her father. I think it's in the preceding episode, actually, about, you know, about the stresses of doing this and giving it your all and whether, whether or not this is the thing or not. And, right. and, and she feels, shouldn't you approach everything that way? You know, um, which is why we get a nice line towards the end of the series, uh, season when the, the, Robert Townsend does say, this is the thing. And I remember that, that was, uh, there's a lot of lovely callbacks in the writing that, oh, yeah. that knit storylines together really well, in a well done way, which doesn't feel, um, cheesy or, 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 or sickeningly sweet. Bittersweet is more of this show, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and the interesting thing, is, cause as you mentioned, she's, she's bouncing all around town, getting a taste of what seems like dozens of foods, but we're all, but we also get a taste of what that industry is like and how she is regarded in the industry. Cause all these people, all these people, these, the chefs and owners, whatever, they know her, they, they're familiar with her. They, they're having conversations with her. They are relating how risky a venture she might be entering into, especially with someone who might not be the most reliable partner. It's what she starts to worry and question. Um, so I love that while we're seeing all this rich, Tapestry of people and foods, and it's really kind of you know almost soothing to see. But it's that bittersweet nature where it's like there's these little things just to remind you, like oh, the the risk here, the fact that he didn't show up, the fact that all these people have a bad story about a partner, right? And and quite frankly, I I think most people know the riskiest business to ever try to open tends to be a restaurant. It's a it's a it's a it's a hell of a thing to try to do because. And that's why I think the ending of the episode is so significant. And it's one of the reasons I know a lot of people were talking about this episode. They were talking about it a lot because of the food. There was all the food you see her going around. Then. I personally kept thinking, even if she's taking a bite out of everything, I, I don't understand how she's keeping all that down. It's too much stuff. Uh, <laughs> but the ending, it's about failure. It's that no ma- and, and then you think about what you've seen image wise in this episode. And here's the thing. No matter how promising or good something might look, either from the outset or from the outside, it can still turn out to be positively wretched. And that's when we see her, how she's, how she's been inspired by the food that she sampled and tried. And then she tries to do something, you know, she gets access to that kitchen, and we already know that she's an amazing chef from what we've seen from season one, and yada, yada, yada. And then she does that. someone else doing the show, someone else writing the show, she'd sample that thing, and there would be a smile. Mm. The bear don't play that way. She, she tries something, it's awful, and it ends with her head down, because she failed, because Opening a re- the whole restaurant business, it seems like it's worse than baseball because it seems like it's more about failure than <laughs> success yeah. than anything else. You know? Yeah.
1: Well, I, I think what, what a lot of the central thesis of the bear is, uh, is that cooking is the, sort of an alchemy, that it's not just like if you get the right ingredients, that that makes it, that there's something to the alchemy of having a process that goes a certain way by certain artisans that do it in a different way that they could have the exact same ingredients as you and I, but they make it, they, they, they transmute whatever it is into something incredible. Right. And, and the, the, the key to the greats to getting your star or whatever is
0: discovering that alchemy. Well, it's like, I think even Richie refers to her when he's talking to her father later in the season. She's a wizard. And that's what, and that's what chef, that's what these true chefs are. They're wizards. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So let us move to the next episode, episode four, which was Honeydew, directed by Rami Youssef, who, yes, he's the star of that series, Rami. And I just realized, uh, when I was writing up the notes, I actually know him from a few episodes of Mr. Robot, actually. Mm -hmm. And this was written by Stacey I'm going to mispronounce her name, I apologize to her, Osei Kufour, who actually kicked off her career just a couple years ago, um, ranging from the story editor for the entire season of Watchmen, and she's actually about to be, uh, she is, excuse me, she is the screenwriter for the upcoming Blade movie. So a very interesting, uh, quick, but brief, but brilliant little career she's building for herself here. So this episode, this is the episode where Marcus goes to Copenhagen, where thanks to Carmi's global connections, he gets to live on a boat and train at the side of one of the best chefs around, Chef Luca, who's winningly played by Will Poulter. Um, now, as I said, later, we are going to be talking about what may or may not be the best episode of the season or the series, but I'm going to pause it right now. This episode is the most beautiful episode of the entire series. Everything about it feels like you're capturing a moment you just want to kind of hold on to forever. It's like a raindrop poised to fall off, you know, a flower petal or a shaft of sunlight hitting a spot in a room in a magical way. Everything from the gorgeous cinematography of Copenhagen, those dollops of green glistening food, even the dude that Marcus finds trapped under that fence— there seems to be like a heart achingly gorgeous look and texture to everything we see in this episode. It's as if this entire episode was like one of those desserts that Marcus is learning how to craft. And, you know, and and, and in the midst of all this, we also will get that sweet and funny conversation he has via FaceTime with Sydney, which we don't know at the time is probably going to be a precursor for things going a little bit awry later this season. Yeah. Yeah. No
1: I, I, I really enjoyed this episode, and I love that it gets a callback in a later episode when Carmi talks about his time in Copenhagen. Yes, and refers to an invisible cat living on a boat. Um, and, and it's it's like you said, all the little shoelaces um, that it waits to tie together. And it, it, you know, it does no laces left untied by many of the threads the writers put. But I, I love this. And I will say, um, this guest spot early in the season, um, the relationship Marcus and him develop. Uh, I mean, this, this, I mean, it's just two people in a basically empty kitchen. They don't show, they don't show them serving customers. Right. You know, there aren't people busting in and out of a kitchen. This is obviously like a very specialized craft that, that he's learning. And um, when when the bear zeros in to something like this, it, it can become something really beautiful and magical. And, and I thought Marcus is Marcus is sort of like the people's champion. Like if you want to root for somebody, yeah, you know, he's got the mom at home that, that you're worried about in the hospital but he's got to do this thing to, to better himself. And, you know, and he's reading books on desserts and trying new things in the restaurant. And, you know, I, I was kind of surprised he got
0: his own episode and thrilled by it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought back, I thought back to season one and I, unless my memory is deluding me right now, I th- think I felt Marcus was the most endearing of all the characters on the show. Um, because he and he and it's kind of like a little bit kind of like what you were saying about Sydney. I would apply to Marcus. Um There is a positivity about him and an optimism and an e- and a desire and eagerness to learn, yes. which is so admirable. And in this episode, we find out more about his life, everything from his his ailing mother to his background in school and 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 the jobs he had and when he talks about it i mean i can't speak for those who are of considerably higher classes than myself but for folks like me instantly relatable i mean the, the struggle the, the you know this guy, this guy was you know you know serving up big macs at mcdonald's and and things of like that nature and, you know we all had friends who also worked at mcdonald's and stuff like that if we didn't do it ourselves um but it going to what you were saying the relationship that forms throughout this episode between himself and Chef Luca, uh, who, again, played so perfectly by Will Poulter, and he's someone I've just gotten to recognize as of late. Um Obviously, I saw him in the recent uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I know folks know him from things like Dope Sick or The Underground Railroad. Um I had a look him up at IMDB to realize, wait, but I've seen him in other things like, oh, he's in Midsummer. That's where I remember him from. Oh, he's in yeah. that stupid Bandersnatch episode of Black Mirror. Okay, one strike, but it's not his fault. Okay. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but one of the things I really like about this season, again, perhaps more so than the first season, there unless I'm forgetting someone, and I might be. No one plays like a cliche. And there's so many cliched ways they could have went about his character. And they don't do it. They don't go there. They make it, and it, so it ends up feeling. More genuine and real than if they had gone that way. If they, if, if they, it, he had been more of an obstacle and more, more of a, more ornery or something of like that, more like a, a miniature Gordon, was it Gordon Elliott? Is that the, the chef I'm thinking of? Uh, I probably got the name. Gordon of Ramsay. Ramsay. Gordon Elliott. Was that, oh, that was the other idiot. No, different, th- different line of work, but, but bigger idiot. But he's not that. No. Though I mean, when they're having the conversation about you know when we find out his past, and and they had the 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 Michael Jordan Scottie Pippen conversation, yeah, I I, I really kind of like I I love them Joe, even screwing with them like acting who, who's that, right? <laughs> it's like no, no, I even people in the UK know who Michael Jordan, is.
1: right, right. Well, but but you see their relationship grow, and what I liked about the way Will Poulter played that Chef Luca. Um, is like he, he really did want to teach him and he might have been a little impatient or a, a little annoyed but he was never abusive like like he was he was a caring teacher and the more their relationship grew um it, again that sort of alchemy thing like the more their relationship grew like Marcus started getting it and right. Marcus started, you know, as opposed to the screaming and yelling or, or whatever. And by the time he leave, by by the time he leaves, it's like a part of you is like just stay there, Marcus. Like it's so gorgeous. Like.
0: <laughs> and also, what's great about what he says to him, and 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 also, uh, well, let me let me get to it first, and then I'll say how that play how admirable the writing is once again. Um, at one point, when Luke is talking to him, he makes it clear that. The way you get better, you're gonna fuck up. It's gonna be, it's gonna be fuck up after fuck up after fuck up. You're gonna fuck, you're gonna fuck up a lot. That's, that's what, it's like what I was saying with Sydney before about failure. You have to fit, you know, what is it? You have, you have to stumble before you can walk or fall or whatever the hell, you know, whatever the hell the thing is. Some bad, another cliche. I feel like Michael Caine should be saying it in my ear or something. Um, (laughs) but it's the, it's the acknowledgement as it's okay to make mistakes because it's expected you're gonna make mistakes but you learn but as we all know you learn from mistakes and that's how you get better and we hear him saying that and you realize this is a conversation at a certain point in the season that he had with Carmi yeah that's what Carmi's because Carmi said something similar to that in the during the course of the season as well and as you mentioned the callbacks you know when we obviously you were referring to the flashback episode which we're going to be talking about shortly. But you know, e- even in the in, in the subsequent episode, when when Richie is walking down a corridor in in like the 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 best restaurant in Chicago or the world, and one of the photo, one of the and, the, and there's all these photos of famous chefs or so on, and one of them is Chef Luca and Carme standing side by side with each other. And it's interesting. It's like you wonder at that point, but like, who is considered the bigger deal at that right. point in time? So yeah there, there's so much it's 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 an exceedingly charming episode um again we've we've watched some of those shows we mentioned earlier even um like atlanta for example um we'll have had episodes where they took a bit of a travel log like aspect where they were like in europe or something like that um and I wasn't, it's not like I was opposed to him doing that on a show like Atlanta, or whatever, although we, we have our uh, slight difference of opinion, I think on that, uh, season, whatever. This felt right for this show. It just, like I said, it felt, just to, to wrap it up, this entire episode felt like you just created this lovely little confection and there was no way we were going to do this podcast without talking about it. And the other thing I feel like, like oh, good. It's also what I've said. You don't to talk about that much. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: So yeah, I, well, I, I thought you'd like it because there was an invisible cat that kept coming and you had to feed it. But, like, no one ever saw it.
0: Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of when I've had a cat set for – Certain people who, who will eventually maybe listen to this podcast when they get to season two, um, and when they have a cat that didn't really care for people or me, it's like, all right, well, not gonna come out then. Right, I'll just do the water, food. They going come back up? Oh, it's gone. Okay, I guess <laughs> someone's doing <laughs> it. All right. Yeah. There's been a few. There's been a few creature uh, uh, t- taking care of situations <laughs> I've had that have gone that way. Hey. Less work on my part, fine by me. I was like, oh, unfortunately, he didn't do anything invisible in the kitty litter. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to. Wow. Let's move on to what some may say is like the episode of the season. I'm not saying we say that, we'll say. That episode is number six, and that would be Fishes. The creator of the series himself, Christopher Storer, he directed this, and he co-wrote it with uh, Joanna Calo, who I mentioned before, who did the Sydney-centric episode. This is an episode family dysfunction at its finest and most disturbing. <laughs> there's there's so much that happens in this episode. Um, there's no, I'm, I'm not recapping. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna go through chronological points of the episode. Uh, I love the setup of it. And I, by the way, I have no notes on this. I'm just going by. But it's 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 an episode now that I've watched twice, so I, I think I don't even have to have a note to talk about it. I love the setup of the episode where, if I recall, it's it's Sugar and Michael speaking outside, which, by the way, the minute we see it's beyond her hair, when we see it's Michael, it's okay, like, oh, this episode's taking place in the past. And then we see... Carmi joins them and then you are like, Oh, here's, here's, here's the three actual siblings. So, (laughs) and you know, we're used to talking about shows with, with at least three siblings, if not, Mm -hmm. and how screwed up things can be. Uh, We could talk, we can talk about that as well later. Maybe I don't know. Um, and then the fact that Richie even pops up. And it was like, oh, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. <laughs> ushered to go back in, which kind of feels like his relationship with them even now It's like, oh, you just did this nice little, quick little representation of what this family unit was. And I don't think anyone, when we as we all sat down, especially those of us who chose to watch this within the first day or two, and and unfortunately we're not spoiled on anything. We didn't know quite was what was going to be in store for us when they walked through the door. I mean. We knew, okay, it's going to be a family thing. So it's probably going to be fireworks and crap, whatever. But there's two things we didn't know. We didn't know we were going to get like, like one of the biggest, almost, you know, 2023 love boat style of level of guest stars, but, but more, but, but, but on the level of acting more like, you know, the wire than, than the love boat. And we didn't know it was going to be as, and I'm going to use this word a lot about this episode. It was going to be as raw as it was so again there there's there's so much to go into here so um i i I, myself i'm not even sure where to start so i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna let you if you want to talk about it for a moment or two and i'll just i'll pick up on whatever point and you know then we'll just we're we're gonna roam around this episode like you know like a madcap camera (laughs) just when when we want to focus on here and there well, I get my
1: first thought on it. And then I have a question to guide our discussion after that. Um, the, my first thought was my one of my best friends is a psychiatrist and he's not watched the bear and he came into town um, recently and. I said, have you watched the bear? And he goes, no, my wife has, but I've been busy. And I was like, well, we're hanging out. And he he comes in regularly to take care of his mom who lives here uh, after his dad passed. And uh, I said, well, why don't we watch it? Because I'm curious what you think of what's going on here. Um, and we watched it and we got done. And he said, yeah, mom's an alcoholic with a borderline personality. And like the kids are you know, the kids have, have lived in that environment. And and I said, well, now, if you watch the show, unlike a lot of shows, you could actually watch this episode, go watch the rest of the series. It doesn't spoil anything because it's a prequel, but actually would give you a lot of interesting insight to the characters. And that may be the spoiler uh, is that, that it, you know, you have some answers that unlock things from the very beginning of the show. But uh, it, it made me think this, like, that house that this episode tells you Michael was the hero child. He became a chef. Carmi was his little brother and looked up to him. Carmi wanted to be like Michael and and in many ways surpassed him. And you see why sugar wants nothing to do with the cooking and, you know, that side of it. You, you see that that she's the caretaker that trying to dump the alcohol uh, is the one always wanting to see if her mom's okay? And I think the the scene you mention out front, like they talk to her specifically, don't you know? Don't ask her if she's okay, and that you know, of course, again, that's another shoelace tied at the end of the episode, and that's when all the shit hits the fan. Oh,
0: that, that's, that's 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 uh, what's the other phrase you you've used it several times on the podcast. We joke about it. sometimes is a was it Chekhov's gun or whoever's gun? Yeah, the the, the the okay thing at the beginning. That's the seed point. of Like okay. We now know at some point. I'm assuming sometime in the third act, she's going to say it, and all hell is going to break loose. We just we didn't know going into it, like okay, just how bad is this going to be? We didn't. Yeah. And then it go and and then it goes. It's bad, and then gets even worse.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and and so, so I sort of had like this episode blew my mind when I watched it. Um. And I noticed like I'd watched it before but but this was the episode people online were like holy shit episode 6 of the bear. Yep. Um like it, this was the one that that many people it blew their mind. Um so the first question I have for you um this was an amazing ensemble of of people. Um what was your favorite casting? at the party
0: in Hua. Interesting. As um, I said, to contradict something you said, but I'll, I'll attack your question first. <laughs> okay. I'll be, uh, as, as, as you know, as people follow, at the very least, I think our Facebook page because you know, I think I posted on Facebook about a month and or two ago. Uh, the one person was in this episode that I already knew was going to be on the this show this, this, this season at some point was Bob Odenkirk. And obviously anyone who's listened to this podcast knows of our love and adoration and especially mine for Bob Odenkirk that goes without saying. So having Odenkirk be on this episode in this series, that alone that before getting to really truly answering your question, that it, it, it was almost like a cheat there to have him, in. especially that and then when we see what he does, that you went and got Bob Odenkirk and he goes out of his way to play a part where he's not the most likable guy. I love that choice. I love that casting for that. But Odenkirk is too, for me, it's too easy. It's too easy a to pick because he should almost be disqualified from this podcast as far as our pick because it's too much bias. This is the Olympics. We're throwing out the high score and the low score. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm eliminating him from the mix. Now we could go with obviously the showiest one of them all. I don't even have to say who that is. That's clear. The, you know, you know, dust off the mantle, you know, guest starring Emmy, whatever we, you know, you, you pretty much nail that one. You know, you, you got, you got some Oscar gold. Now you're going to have some Emmy gold. Very impressive. You know, well, look at, look at Laurie Stroh. It's pulled off now. You know, too bad you couldn't do a decent Halloween movie in the last 20 years. Um, <laughs> You know who I'm going to go with, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm, I, and you probably knew I, it. You probably knew I, it. I, I was—I so, asked this question because I was curious if you would have the
1: same answer as me.
0: I'm going to go with the person who—I who. Now it's almost the opposite of the Oliver Platt thing in a way, because I kept thinking, you know, I don't know if he wrote any of his own dialogue. John Mulaney. But oh, my God, everything written for John Mulaney, especially not so much the the big uh, saying grace scene with him later on, which I I love that scene. But two scenes, two other scenes, the scene when he's talking to the facts. Oh, yeah. And he actually says something along the lines. Okay, this is it. I'm sorry. If he didn't write the line, then they wrote it knowing, okay, it's John Mulaney. This is a John Mulaney line. Do I have access to $500? Yes, I absolutely do. I'm a 43 year old man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love that. And then when he insists on just, you know, you know, you know what? I, don't care, I don't care what you do. Just, just, just please give me weekly, <laughs> weekly updates. I just like seeing you guys every year. You fucking deliver. Cause he's so amused yeah. by the ridiculousness of them. And in yeah. the fact, he also does the same kind of thing. To his to his to his gal pal uh, Michelle, cousin Michelle, played by Sarah Paulson, who I love that it's twenty five minutes into the episode before we see. Wait, Sarah Paulson! Holy crap! That's that's a that's a name too. When he's questioning the story she's telling about the woman who's an asshole, it's like because he's playing like kind of sounds like you're the asshole. (laughs) Right, right. It it, it's something about his delivery and the way he presents it, and the fact he he brings up a couple times that people think he. (laughs) think he's gay or not yeah and and trust me i've gotten that myself over the years um and his is also the most unexpected because okay everyone else they're you know they're they're, at at this point they're seasoned veterans we either be tv veterans or jamie lee who's you know more movies than tv but whatever and I, i know he's done his share of comedic acting but not nothing really dramatic that I know of. And if I, if he has done something, I'm just, I'm not recalling it, but that was the one I went, wait, John Mullaney's in this. And what made it really interesting to me. And the interesting thing about casting John Mulaney is that a lot of what's going on in this episode, it's about someone, well, at least one character who's dealing with, you know, a form of an addiction issue. All right. And, and as people who might have been following John Mullaney's life for the last couple of years, he's had some of those issues himself. He thought, I mean, if anyone has seen his most recent uh, comedy special where then the entire thing is about that, by the way. And he talks just about his intervention alone. Um, which. By the way, if, if someone can, if someone, if there was ever an intervention that needed to be caught on video somewhere, <laughs> and then, that's the one I want to see. Uh, I just thought it was such a great little piece of casting. Uh, that's so, yeah, Mulaney is my favorite bit of casting in the episode. Absolutely, I, I I loved, I loved him because he seemed to
1: be like a person who was genuinely happy to be there, and was like sort of sweet and uncorrupted, and like, like he, like you said, you know, he loved the facts. He thought they were, he thought they were funny. Like he appreciated like being there with his girlfriend and I thought there was the touching moment where he said, you know, I don't have a family like this and you welcome me into your home. Like, 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 you know, there was, there was a lot of his story told, you know, with an economy of, of words and I thought he was very surprising and, and I really appreciated him because I'll be honest with you with the, with the talent on board, I thought he would disappear. Like, I, I did yeah. not think he would, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to hold your own against the cast that that showed up. So right. you're absolutely right
0: about that. Um, going to something you mentioned, um, and then I'm going to go into a, a scene which is not a scene people would expect us or me, at least, to focus on. But it is the first thing I'm going to focus on. Um, I OK, I don't necessarily disagree that one. OK, let me maybe this way. Yes. One can just watch this episode as a standalone, just as like, this is an amazing hour of television. You should watch this. So, yes. And, and we're, I think we're both aware of uh, a a mutual, I don't know what we call that person, internet acquaintance who did that. Um, my problem with that is it's kind of like what you, and you actually said it to a certain extent that this episode, gives you the insight or, or explanation to some degree or the background or, or a backstory or exposition, whatever, for so many things you'll see in other episodes, either before or after. But to me, I think it ends up taking, I'm, I'm really talking about the ones that come after, really, maybe, but even before, I think doing that kind of takes away from it. And that's what—that's why I—I couldn't—I wouldn't recommend someone do that. I was someone who they said they were I—I was against it. You know, it—it is not really—it's not a great uh, comparison. So, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's this podcast. So it's—it's it's the natural one for this podcast. It's like people who think who think they should watch Better Call Saul before they watch Breaking Bad. And I'm like, no, don't do that. It works better if you've watched Breaking Bad first. Oh, but it's a prequel. No, no. But the way they've constructed the story, things are in an order for a reason. Watch Breaking Bad. If you're going to watch them, then watch Breaking Bad first. That, that's just my opinion. Again, it's not, it's not wrong. It's like that show that, that came out earlier this year with the, the different colors and you can watch them in whatever order and people chose to watch them like in a purely chronological way. It's like, yeah, you could do that, but it's just less interesting that way. Right. You know? You know, if I'm watching Mad Men and it's going to take like a season or two before we really get the full lowdown on Don Draper, you know, and his whole back history, well, I don't want that up front. I want, I want, I want, I want the pieces to you find out and everything. It works that way. All right. So the scene I'm going to go to, and again, it's not a scene anyone would probably expect me to go to. I'm going to go to the scene between Richie and his wife Tiffany when they're upstairs. And this scene is like one of the reasons I don't feel you do something. Oh my, I wrote really mean notes. I'm going to, I'm going to skip what I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote something singularly stupid, like a, like a mutual and watch this episode. No, I will skip that. That scene, why that scene hits totally differently. If you just, if this is the first episode you're ever watching, oh, it's a sweet scene. If you're watching it the way it's meant to have been watched, it's achingly sad. It's a sad scene because of what it really represents. Because if you haven't seen it, because, you know, like earlier in the season when Richie and his kid doing the tongue thing or the way he refers to his wife and and, and what kind of man Richie has been until the metamorphosis we're going to see in the very episode that comes after this, it makes this scene, that's why I think the scene is so significant And that's why I wouldn't want to have seen – I wouldn't want this to be the first time I've seen Richie in in an episode and, and, and whatever, even though he has so many great moments in this episode. But I think it works better because it's plopped here in the middle of season two and the way it makes us reflect back. And then as we and then as we move forward, it makes the episodes that come after just that much more powerful. As far as the Richie stuff is concerned, where he's come from. I mean, the chocolate banana doesn't work so well later on because of this episode. And so, All right? Well, that's not a little pornographic. Sorry, guys. Anyway, but, <laughs> but I I really love the scene. And it also, speaking of guest stars that we might we might not have given as much. Um, kudos to his others because you know, maybe they're not on the same level, blah blah blah. But Jillian Jacobs is really kind of wonderful, um, yeah. in this episode, and, a, and she appears briefly in a couple others as well. Um, and you know, we obviously, I mean, we know her from community more than anything else. I know she's done other things, but for us, she'll always be, you know, from community. Um, but there's a certain way she speaks and the way she. And it made her like just so believable. It's like, oh, yeah, it's a like, uh, Chicago girl, you know, from, from the neighborhood. Yeah. I'm, getting, am you know, the way she talks to him, like, you know, he's, he's, he's afraid that he's crushing her the way he's leaning on. It's like, no, 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 I, I like it. You know, I, it's, it's those little touches, which again, I'm aware they are written for her and whatever. So brilliant, but she fleshes out those little teeny tiny moments so beautifully. Um, especially in an episode like this where so much of the episode is not very sweet. Right. <laughs> well, it's a this really this is nice the movie. respite in the
1: episode to give you a break. Yeah, like it's like a glass like this,
0: It's like yeah. a glass of fresh Sprite that someone somehow yeah. made which yeah. was like wait a minute did they did they, have, did they have a soda smart back then? Because how did he carbon how did he carbonate <laughs> it? Did they have, did he mix something with seltzer? Is that it? Oh, big deal! Would you put lime and sugar and in and in the a seltzer? Oh, you're big deal! I could do that anyway. Come on, sorry. The the <laughs> the, the beauty I thought of this
1: uh, scene was watching Richie throughout the show. You assume like they split up because he's kind of an asshole, um, and you see in this scene. Like, like they actually had a really good relationship, and the, he really loved her, and was trying to to get a job and trying to support her, and um, like, like all your assumptions based on him throughout this, uh, he's hard to get along with at the store. He, he's, you know, he wants to boss in. He was like, this completely shifts your perspective on how they ended. That it probably wasn't uh, what you thought that it maybe was, you know, he couldn't get the apartment in the nice school district or, you know, everything he tried to do was fail or he stayed at the, at the beef and that couldn't support them enough. Um, uh, you know, it, it changes what you think of them, which then makes, you know, you know, his relationship with his daughter and
0: where that goes even more powerful as well. Right. Um, um, It's interesting that we now have two seasons of this show and, um, we've gotten, and one of the things I think is remarkable is that we've gotten so much story and backstory and and knowledge about these characters. But there are still major things that we don't know that will, that are still waiting to be revealed. And and and, it, and the show never presents anything like, "Ooh, that's a mystery we're keeping to ourselves," and eventually you'll find out. It doesn't play that way, like so many other and 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 great shows. I'm not talking about like Badger, like like the aforementioned uh, Don Draper on Mad Men, like the mystery of Don Draper that we took how long it took us f- to find you know this detail after this detail, whatever. Do we? I mean, again, I might be forgetting something from season one because I didn't rewatch season one, but I'm pretty sure about this. Do we know the story about the Prizado's dad? I don't think I do. I, I, I mean, if I do, I don't recall it. And sort of, I don't think we know the story about it because, because I feel if we did, it would have been referenced again. And it's never, it's not referenced in this episode or at any point in the season. The closest thing to it is when he looks at that painting that he despises later in the season. And the words mother and father are written in the corner and they zero in on that. And so I kept thinking, okay, if it was just about the mother, they would just have the word mother there. Mother father is there. And that's when I realized we don't know the story about the father. And again, R- Richie, we don't know what happened. I like to well I shouldn't say I'd like to think, I suspect that Carmi and that family Carmi and that family were not the only ones that were so adversely impacted by Michael's death. I think it hit Richie too. And that might've had some sort of domino effect that ended up, you know, screwing up his, his marriage, whatever. I don't know. They, they haven't told us how long they've been apart for. I haven't heard them say I, that. So. I, I agree with that. And
1: I think, you know, to bounce off what you said, there's the, the scene where they're telling, army they'd seen claire that she was back in town Mm -hmm. and you see richie and michael are like a duo like yeah exactly like they're they're, richie's not as much on the outside as you see him later and you almost suspect if you know if michael hit everything from richie and it hurt him so bad that you know to think that that you know he could he should have saved him or whatever and that made him start using drugs and and you know, whatever happened, happened. But but you see, like, Richie is is closer. I mean, he's still, you know, at the beginning, like, get back in the house, which is, you know, kind of funny. But but you
0: see, like, there's a camaraderie with him and Michael. Right. I mean, it, it's probably not lost in us that we know that Carmi has been gone. Like, he's disappeared for, like, a year at a time, whatever. Well, perhaps it's more very likely Richie has is be- is become such a part of this family, he's kind of become, like, he's filled in the space. He's become the brother that Carby's not there to be. And that might be how he views his own... I, that is, I believe, how he views his own relationship with, with Mikey, that they, they are essentially brothers but without the DNA in common. You know, even though Richie might have his thing for his mom, who knows, who wouldn't. But back in the day, it was Jamie Lee Curtis. Maybe not in this episode, but, you know, when they were kids, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. Yeah. And it's funny. I'm, I'm not focusing on her just yet because that's a thing unto itself. We, <laughs> I mean, we certainly can at any point. Um, you know, I brought her up. Why not just go for it? Jamie Lee Curtis, who already kind of impressed the hell out of us with her turn and what is it? Everything everywhere all at once, whatever. And, and you mentioned watching the episode with your friend who was the psychologist psychiatrist psychiatrist i always get the the, the the psych things confused um yeah it's interesting to note that everyone in that family the brazada family has some form of a problem some form of a you know th- there's an issue th- there not just you know and not simply like oh they talk too much no, there's there's a, there's a there's a certain underlying psychological issue to some extent or another you know I mean, of the four, the one maybe the least is maybe Sugar. Um, it's, but it's more, it's how she's impacted, you know, by her, her mom in that situation. And again, it makes me wonder about what happened with the dad, whatever. Um, but certainly Michael, certainly Carmi. And wow, it's the mom. And you realize how much that, and this isn't, and you can tell by, and that's what's great about the performance. Is there's such a lived in nature to it that you realize this is someone who's been like this for years. And may, and obviously it gets worse when it's such a huge family function and all this is going on for days. I mean, God knows what Thanksgiving is like in that house. Um, but even on, you know, just a random Tuesday in April, watch, tell me the, f- the feast of the fishes in April. That's not, I'm sure it's not. She's probably not much different than that and it's scary it's a, it it's, it's it's a scary performance because there is an off-kilter nature to it that she's she's constantly spinning she's constantly spinning and every time that buzzer goes off it's it it triggers her and it's a new thing and she has issues of guilt again I think there's something with the dad story that we don't know, which is playing a part there, which makes me very curious. And there she, she's got some classic Italian mother stuff, which is not that much different than a classic Jewish mother stuff where she doesn't just feel guilty. She needs to guilt others. She has to, so therefore, so there's a martyr complex where she feels like she's not appreciated, that she's not loved. But maybe I, I don't want to go too stereotypical with DNA stuff, although I got my DNA results this week. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 2% Italian, holy shit. Anyway, <laughs> my mother lied to me my whole life. Anyway, um, there is an aggression there, and that's what makes it, so she, so she's not someone who just, you know, goes inward and just curls up into a, a fetal ball necessarily. She lashes out, and it makes her scary. It makes her dangerous. You understand why Sugar is so petrified and worried, and feels she has to do something to rein her in, and she can't help herself. She, because the natural instinct, someone's it's like, hey, are you okay? It's, it's, a, it's a, except more so than a buzzer going off. That's the trigger for her mom. Right. And, and, and you, you're just, it's the, it's the, it's the ticking time bomb in the episode is when's Sugar gonna say it? Cause you know, when she says it, you know, that I was expecting, you know, tables to be overturned, seven fishes up against the wall, <laughs> you know, you're waiting for it. Um, it's, it's, oh. Jamie Lee is like, you know, and and then, and the fact she's doing all this and smoking like a chimney the whole time is not, and this isn't, this isn't 1972. This is, this is supposed to be five years ago, you know, you know, 256 weeks or something like that. Yeah, before the opening, which told, I did math. Oh, uh, five years. (laughs) So, so the fact that she's like smoking like a storm while she's cooking at the dinner table, whatever. It's like, wow, that's people doing that. It's like, 2000, what? 16, 17? <laughs> wow, she she she's a, she's a dynamo in this, and it's and for anyone who's had issues with, especially with their parents or mother, whatever, in different forms, I've had them to some extent. I know other people have as well. It there's a relate there's there is a sad way we relate to it, and it made it made me flinch. I mean, my mother was never like this. I didn't have that, this kind of an issue. But I had other kind of issues, and I know yeah. other people did as well. So there's that kind of things like it, it's it's a reminder that how powerful and how strong a figure the mother is in a household, and she's the and she is the matriarch of this family because you know, and and she is feared, and she and because they keep thinking like they it's like they all know something like this is going to happen, yeah, and they're just waiting for it. Did he, they oh, even the, joke. I mean, they joke about it during the episode.
1: Uh, Oliver Platt. I mean, you know, he he says he says he says, "Hang on, I think stuff's about to get dark."
0: Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> like, you know,
1: there's great lines at the table, like uh, I think he says that to to uh, Jillian Jacobs' character, yes. like at the dinner table when they're. So I mean, they they all know what's coming. Like, and and the hope is, like, what you see is like the kids that have stayed there. Has stayed there because of her, because like she's she's made them codependent to have to take care of her and tell her her food's beautiful and all that. Mm-hmm. But what you really learn is you learn that's why her kids cook. Like like the the way that that you communicate love for people is you make beautiful food or you cook them stuff. And you know, yeah, what I think it, it teaches us. I mean. About sugar is why she's not interested in the the business and why she's looking for her man is very different than anyone else at that party. Right. Right. Like he's 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 a sweet doofus.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: And like that, you know, but I I, I love the touch when, you know, she's been berated and she walks out and she just asks John Mulaney's character if he'd give her a hug. Like, yeah, there's an absence of warmth. There. Right. It's it's like duty. You, you didn't come home. We had to beg you like it's all about duty. It's it, there. There's no warmth or love. It's 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 these things. And I think what it tells us about Carmi is uh, once you serve the food, don't attach that to love or anything else. Like because because his, his mom was was tied up in the idea that, that you prove your love for people. You do all this for them and you mm-hmm. expect them to give all this stuff to you. He separates himself from that for him. It's just about the food. And I think that's where his relationship later with his girl gets into trouble. It's like now he's, he's sort of combined two worlds and he starts to have that epiphany after he gets locked in. What's he done? He's taken her out something to eat. And she does what no one else does. Like, Oh, that that was wonderful. Like, He's, he's sort of crossed those two streams, you know, the the of of the personal and the food. And then when he gets frustrated, he realizes he's sort of broken that rule. That I think that's his control to not be like his mom. Right, right,
0: interesting. Speaking of the mom, there's a there's a moment. Uh, fairly oh can know. I say something before I forget I'm sorry sure go ahead
1: Wait, I meant to say this too and I, and I want to give major props to Jamie Lee uh, because I don't know that I've ever seen an actress who like just basically said even in a portrayal like this like don't hide my age lines oh yeah like like she really let like herself look haggard ragged they didn't put on the extra makeup. Like, like, I mean, it's kind of cliche to say this, but I thought it was a really brave
0: performance. I like that that weird little eyelash that stays on her cheek for so oh, yeah. long. It's, it, yeah. it drives you crazy. I thought that was yeah. interesting. Um, so... There's a moment, uh, I'm not sure when it happens. Uh, let's say maybe roughly a third into the episode, not sure when. Um, it's between her and Odenkirk's Uncle Lee. Um, and he's talking to her about some deal he's made for a building. But in this scene, it's clear that there's some sort of history here, a recent history between these two. And that's also when you see Mikey react, annoyed, and kind of negatively about it. He says something along the lines of "Not this again," whatever. I'm only saying uh, the reason I'm pointing out it because it's something I think that some, many, whatever, might have missed when they went over this episode, because that is actually, I think, to a certain extent, the opening salvo between Uncle Lee and Mikey. That this was well before Lee interrupts Mikey's story that he's heard a million times, or whatever. It starts here, and it also maybe fills in a blank without being um uh expressly doing so about why there would be animosity why mike certainly why mikey would have animosity to uncle lee and maybe that was a thing that existed hence why he would jump in on that story and 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 shit on it the way he does later on Um, well that's what's
1: funny is the whole episode they play a game of not this again right exactly
0: now as we were saying, I, I, it's lovely that you have this – every guest star has at least one or, or more moments to shine in this episode. Obviously, Jamie Lee with her multiple breakdowns, Odenkirk with his confrontations with Mikey, Mulaney with everything we we said before. Um, you know, even Sarah Paulson, you know, when she's – you know the, she seems to be the one person looking out for Carmi's clearly fragile psyche. Um but let's go to someone who has been on the show before, but he's a, but when he, but it's, he's only had a few appearances, but he's as, he might be the most important guest appearance whenever he shows up. It's John Bernthal. It's Mikey. How good is he in that scene with Carmi and his reaction after? And then you realize just way before the fork scene happens <laughs> and it's like, Oh, and the pit in your stomach of knowing where this character is going again. Why I wouldn't say watch this episode before all the others because you know <laughs> it's a bit more important. Go, oh, by the way, this, this is the one who kills himself, <laughs> you know. But when you see how he acts, and he's the, the. I mean, I wasn't that impressed with him as some might have been with The Walking Dead. But what he did on that HBO show that we both liked uh, last year—that uh, we, owned we the own city. the city. And a few other things he's done, which I've heard are really exceptional. And his work, he, l- limited appearances though they may be, every time he's on, in this episode specifically, holy cow. I mean, I don't know, I mean, I think it was because he's only in, wait, is this the only episode he's, yeah, I think so, right? There's the only flashback episode, It's the only episode he appears in also. So he would also fall under the guest star thing, whatever how do you pick the guest stars in this episode to give it, give it up, you know, cause Mulaney kind of deserves something too. Um, but, uh, it's the the episode overall. I mean, it's, and again, this isn't me wrapping up, so don't worry um, unless we want to, it's, it's visceral, it's nerve fraying, it's stomach churning and specifically the last 15 minutes or so. And I know we made kind of a slight reference to it before as a joke, but it is, it is eerily reminiscent of some of those really top-notch succession episodes of the final season that we've talked about on the podcast. Those episodes that were essentially in one location, maybe multiple rooms, it's still essentially one location, and you saw the savagery of family dysfunction tempered by very dark or absurd humor, which makes it palatable, until that too is kind of stripped away, and then it's just raw. And, you know... In a show that deals so much with cooking, it's interesting that its most searing moments are actually quite raw. And yes, every single pun there was intended. To <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the the savagery of
1: this episode. Uh, I mean, this was like taking the the like three siblings walk into the conference room during the board vote, and stretching it out and like you know uh, about two or three times longer. Um, And letting it simmer and boil till it blows up amongst all the characters. And there's lots of nice little touches in in this episode. I thought one, um, you know, Lee also calls out Mikey for using. And if you notice early in the episode, Mikey's pretty clear headed. But after the thing with Carmi, he walks outside. Yeah. And you don't see him use like, you know, you don't see him use, but he comes back in and he's different.
0: Yep, you're right. You're right. You're right.
1: And a nice little touch that that's not obvious, but you see his character change ever so slightly to be more aggressive, um, less inhibited. Uh, and the, the scene—I mean, you, you can't go wrong if your favorite thing was the fork. I mean, you know, it's funny that the next episode's called—you know what it's called? It's not important. <laughs> yeah. But but I love, you know, we were talking about Mulaney, I love when he was doing the prayer and he said it says he's still holding the fork. Still holding the fork. <laughs> and they're all like, yeah, yeah, he is. It's like, like, amazing. I mean, like an amazing bit of, of dark comedy, you know, to break the tension. Yeah. But uh, Bernthal, I mean, you know, to me watching this, this was like a sort of like almost Gandolfini-esque performance, like you know he was just a powerhouse on the screen man and and in a room full of people before the mom shows up he's the one they're all
0: afraid of right now also it's funny how uh we gave the man so many rays at the top of the episode without really talking about his performance in the episode so my way of closing the episode at least or attempt to close the episode Will be to acknowledge yes that the the actual fork showdown. Um, what Odenkirk does in this episode. Hey, you know what? We yeah we watched Better Call Saul, and we saw him do dramatic work. We were we, we feel he should we we feel he's do at least one if not more Emmys that he didn't. Get. But his face off with Mikey here and the. I hate and I hate to reuse the word but I don't have an, I don't have another uh, I don't have my, th- my I don't I don't have my thesaurus handed, so I will just have to uh, reuse the word the savagery of his rebuke of him and laying out everything about every negative aspect of what Mikey is at this point you know and the fact that it all has the stink of truth about it you know and even though people are trying to get him to shut up well he's provoked and he's already he's already shown himself he, again, these two have 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 issues from the get-go and it just it festers and gets worse and yes, is uncle Lee responsible for a lot of that? He didn't need to step in that story. he didn't need whatever Of course not but it's that's the dynamic these two have. I don't doubt that there's been issues between them at previous uh, seven fish feasts before but the the, the fork thing <laughs> you know. And then when he asks his person, "Are you using it?" and everything from that to that closing shot, where you realize you know the fork is in the cannoli thing, which also makes the thing later on, not just the next episode being forks, but the thing with the cannoli thing later on and being called the Mikey kind of really, almost beautifully eerie. I guess it, it it's it's a fantastic episode. Of it
1: it 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 really is, and uh, like. Uh, by the time it's over, you're tired.
0: Oh, yeah. It, it, it wears you down. Um, but I, I'll, I'll say this before I move on to the next episode. Um, we, or I, uh, although you appeared once, twice, don't remember how many times. Uh, a couple times. I did that countdown a couple years ago on, the pod, on this podcast of the 20 greatest TV episodes of all time. You know, one per show, blah, blah, blah. If I was to... Say I don't know. If, look, I highly doubt I'll be doing this podcast five years from now. <laughs> but I guess I, I don't know. Who knows if I'll know be alive five years from now? But if both those things should be be the case, this has a shot at cracking that list. It, it's a, especially because it functions as not a standalone in the in the sense of you know it's like episodic television. But as just just a piece of, holy moly, this is, wow. Yeah. So,
1: see? There, there, there are two things that broke the zeitgeist this year. That this and the episode of Succession right. where they pull, pull the carpet out from under you. Right. That, you know, the kind of thing that if you're watching a show like this that you're really invested in, you, you, you can't really wait three or four days if you're onto any sort of social media because you'll be spoiled. But this, like, uh, I mean, you saw it multiple places, I'm sure, like I did. Like, you know, people I didn't even know watched this show were like, holy shit, did you see episode six of I, The Bear? I
0: I, I I, rarely tweet a reaction about any TV show I watch, and even the shows I love. I did that tweet for this show. I think it was something like, you know, episode six, fishes. But I write "holy fuck" or "holy shit." I remember probably I don't like I don't like the phrase "holy shit" very much. Probably "holy fuck." Yeah. Anyway, so all that yeah. said, I guess it's not going to be an hour and a half podcast after all. Let's move to episode seven. The counterpoint to this episode, "Forks," which was also directed by the creator Chris Storr. This one was written by Alex Russell. It's the Richie episode. Ebon Moss Backrack. Um, look, 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 before I get into any specifics, let me just say it here. Um, this episode, it's the perfect episode to follow. Fishes, it, it, it's it's like I, I just refer to it as like a counterpoint. Um, and and it also makes it interesting that these are the two episodes that most people are going back and forth, which is they think is the best episode of the season or of the series, or whatever. There's no wrong answer per se, but it's interesting, like, the the previous one has this weird kinetic frenzied. It's it's almost as frenzied as that crazy episode from episode uh, season one with the the, the almost the real time kitchen episode where it's like oh um, well. This might not have that kind of quite that pace. It almost feels like it because it's relentless. You know, it's, it's 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 like a Robert Altman movie, but on cocaine and Tarantino decided to throw some violence in there. You know, and do some rewriting on it, whereas. Um forks i mentioned about formulaic right forks is a very it's it's, it's a one-man show kind of a thing it's an it's, it's it's an interesting episode that we have not one but two different episodes if i'm missing another life I, I apologize because sydney i guess you could say the sydney one's sort of i don't feel quite that way about that episode it, it becomes sydney centric but I don't know, and it's just, so it's a Sydney episode, but not the way the Marcus one is for Copenhagen. Um, I'm Honeydew rather, and not the way this one. Is. This is a Richie episode. You know, we we spend the episode with Richie. Our only interaction with anyone else is through him, be it on the phone or or whatever. Um, and I, I love the again, it's it, it, the way they they build the episode, and it, and even though you can kind of see where it's going. You see where 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 this is going to how how this is going to land. It's it's executed so flawlessly. It's I I know there's like people who probably watch a show who are also watch a show like Ted Lasso, and a lot of reasons I think people are big fans of a show like Ted Lasso is even though there can be sad poignancy moments here and there, um, quite often there's a very there's a feeling of Satisfaction by the end of the episode because there's something, even if there's bitterness or sadness here, it still ends on a positive note. There's something uplifting about it. And this is an episode that actually has that as opposed to the Sydney episode we talked about earlier where it ends with her failing as opposed to, and it's the, oh, it, it may be the exact opposite of the episode that we had just watched before it with with fishes where it's about this, you know, this, this crazed ensemble of people and who are swimming in this world of chaos. And by the end of it, let's just put, to be clear, no one's happy at the end of fishes. Forks is a one man show pretty much, although the ensemble around them are all lovely and fun. And we get another great special guest appearance in this one as well. But it's, it ends on possibly probably the most positive note of any episode I can recall. And by the time this episode is done, if you weren't the biggest fan of the rich of Richie, his character, whatever, this is such a great payoff for him, for everything we've seen him go through. We either be the very episode beforehand with what we saw him early on, which when we go from that to him being, um, you know, being in touch with his, with his, with life in this one, I think it's in this one, right? Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's such a nice companion piece. That's what I was talking about. All these episodes, there's a kind of a nice, interesting pairing with them. I, but this is the most deliberate for a reason. It's, it cleansed, much like Sydney needed to cl- cleanse her palate and and, 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 and then Carmy was supposed to. I guess he never did. Um, this cleanses the palate of, of the, uh, the jaw-dropping bitterness of the previous episode and i think in some ways that might be why some people prefer this episode because i no, that episode left me numb this episode left me kind of humming maybe i don't know or just or just feeling good you know i'll stop I'll, I'll let you talk no i think i think you're dead
1: on i think that uh I, i'm positing this and not saying it's right or wrong uh either approach is right or wrong I would bet if this show dropped weekly rather than streaming, mm-hmm. that six would probably have more supporters. Um, but I think if you go from six directly to seven, you know, if you're streaming it and, and binging it the way a lot of people did, I think there is a very comforting feeling that, that seven brings you back down and it drops your, Drops your anxiety, um, you know. It's 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 quieter. I mean, when I rewatch Six, God, that's a loud episode. And, and the background sounds you hear the kitchen. I mean, there's no episode that's quiet other than in the bedroom, and even then, you faintly hear stuff going on. Right. This is an episode that it's quiet. Uh, it's proper, and uh, and I mean. I think probably another reason that that this episode has a lot of supporters is we have another wonderful guest star, yeah, in this episode. That there's that moment with Olivia Coleman that came out of nowhere, and I watched it, and for like ten seconds, I was like, I- "Is that really Olivia Coleman just doing like a walk on cameo in in the bear?" And sure enough, it was talking about mushrooms and um, and a, and a, a, the metaphor of you got to do the small things right that it starts there to get to something. And you see Richie do the small things that, that through the episode, he gets up on time that, and, and you know, by the end of the episode, he's hopping up right before the alarm clock. And, you know, it, it's, it's just really well done. And you see him metamorphosized to become what the bear needs, because then we do see Sydney fail and he's there to step in later. Right. Um, and you know when Carmi's locked up and Sydney fails, uh, you know the least likely person to be voted maybe the MVP of season two would have been Richie, right. and he's possibly the MVP of the season.
0: Yeah, that's when, when Olivia Coleman, uh, I almost wish she hadn't been on Secret Invasion, that uh, Disney show it's on now, because I feel that that would make her appearance on the Bear that much more special and really Um, but yeah, just, just to reiterate, just the back to back episodes, you know, I I think, like, fishes leaves us kind of shell-shocked and gobsmacked, but forks is life-affirming. So it's like, it's like a warm blanket to drape over a viewer who's shivering after watching fishes, quite frankly. Now, the stuff with, with, with Richie, which was great about it, it's, it's such a great exploration of him as a character, because he's someone who's cocky, but lacks confidence. He's someone who doesn't know at this point, he doesn't know his place in life, be it at the restaurant, his extended family, but they not by blood, with his ex, the daughter. He's kind of adrift. And it's especially poignant, especially when you saw the aspirations and goals he had in that in the flashback episode, um, fishes, just before that. But here, up until this episode, we haven't seen little to none of that. And it's like what you're saying, it's like it it changed. It changes our view of him because he changes his view. He changes his view of 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 the business of how people treat people in the business, whatever. I love the thing that Coleman says, like he's good with people, and then we see that we see we see how he acts. We see we see that he does approach things with a certain level of excitement and joy, and we had not seen that before, right? So. Right and, and he can let go of
1: his daughter wanting to go to Taylor Swift. He wanted to take her to Taylor Swift But then at the end he lets go and he's just happy. She she got to go like like He's not looking at the glass half empty. He's starting to look at the glass half full
0: and make changes towards a more positive life right. And, 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 and yeah, it's it's Oh, and you'd mentioned the thing with the clock which is a lovely device that he used throughout the episode, how, you know, he's waking, and the, each time he wakes up, it's a little bit earlier, it's a little bit earlier, until he wakes up before the clock itself. It's a cute device throughout the episode, and that kind of reminds me of something I like throughout the season, which I maybe just made a glancing reference to it, but the flashback episode. Um, there's that countdown aspect for almost all the episodes this season, um, as we get closer to the opening of the restaurant. It, uh, speaking of, I'm going to go to a totally different kind of an FX show from way back when. It kind of oddly reminded me of Damages. If you've ever seen Damages, oh yeah, out there, yeah, you see, that's right. Of all things, because I don't, I can't remember if they did it every season. I, I, I feel like they did. They definitely did in the earlier ones, the, the better seasons. Um, there was always episode to episode there was a countdown leading up to something that we saw at the start of the season kind of like here's a flash forward and now you know seven weeks before we get there six weeks before we get there and I feel like that's kind of what this felt like like okay we're 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 six weeks from the opening. We're two weeks. We're, we're, we're like, oh my god! You're like it's like just this little bit of pressure as we get closer. I love how as we get closer, all of a sudden the restaurant's been demolished. Like, okay, how are they gonna pull this off? And I just love the tactile nature of everything we see. You know, with the with the things being torn down and uh, it, it. Yeah, it, the show has such a nice grittiness to it. It's really great. Um,
1: yeah, and, and I think I think it's great you mentioned that because the clock, the ticking aspect of it, you know, the timer and the flashback, and, and it, it's such a major device that they do even in the the flashback episode. Yes, they do say two hundred and fifty six weeks or or like right. like like you you know you can't you can't. Put that everywhere and not see that it's intentional, that it's this it's this countdown to to, to the. But but what I find interesting is that, you know, the ultimate countdown, we don't get the actual open. We get friends and family.
0: Right. That's true. That's true. There is also something that's interesting rewatching some of these episodes like this one. Um, And I believe I realized this Watching it the first time around anyway So no no big revelation here But I just I I like how everything kind of knits together As far as um, Carmi's life as a chef And what he's done And we see the connecting pieces And We talked about it before With the Chef Luca stuff And and then we realize, oh, we hear him talking about his trip to Copenhagen, which we know that Marcus just we saw Marcus go on. And he they stayed at the same boat and fed the same invisible cat and so on. But there's something that happens in this episode and which made me kind of go, oh, it's all connecting. That's interesting. That's very interesting. And I don't mean just that photo that um, Richie sees in the corridor. Uh, which is of uh, Chef Luca and uh, Carmi together, but it's but it also it, it's it's going to confirm how there's a connection here. It's the sign that's in the kitchen. It's the thing that when he tries to get her get, uh, call out to um, what was her name, Chef Terry, that she told the story of her father's uh, journals and everything, and there was a phrase he wrote at the end of his. Uh, all his entries about you know, all these experiences and moments in life. And she wouldn't, she didn't tell him what the phrase was. And then he's looking across the room and we realized that's what the phrase was. The phrase was every second counts. And we see that sign. We see that phrase elsewhere. And it kind of, you realize it, it, it's everything connects. Yeah. And, and that, and realize like her influence on, this one that you realize that she's not just probably connected to Carmi, she's connected to chef luca she's all, like all these pieces kind of come together and you, you see how the how everyone's interwoven and 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 it, i really think that's just a nice piece of ingenious piece of writing and and i i just it was one of those things when i, when I saw it again i was going that, that's right. They're all they're all connected. And that's. I, I think that's just a really special thing, um, not just specific to this episode, of course, although this episode is worthy of uh, all the huzzahs that it's gotten, but just the series overall. I, th- I just want yeah. to make sure I mention that because it just popped into my head
1: here. Yeah, and it's nice throughout the, the episodes, even the earlier one we discussed, that you see some of the chefs in the nicer places – it's clear that his people, Carmi's people are getting access to those places because of him. That, you know, there's something when your people show up in Copenhagen that, you know, you're getting in the door because your boss made that call. Like, so that I, I think that he's probably gained a little more cachet with his people that, you know, he, he's not a big self promoter, but saying, go to Copenhagen and working with this guy, you know, you know, like when Marcus got there, he knew it was a big deal. Right? right. And when Richie walks down the hall and you see that picture, like like you didn't know that. Right. Like like Carmen didn't self promote it, but his people have went out in the world and. You know, even when uh, Sydney was going around to the restaurants and they were going to different places, the one was like, oh, are you working with uh, who are you working with? And, and like they know who Carmi is like. Right. But but I think, you know, a positive for his character is his people find this stuff out. He's not like bragging it. They all know he's a good chef. But all these connections in, in this, you know, hoity toity world, he he doesn't self promote those. And I, I think that that. I, but but you see a lot this season yeah like, you know it's like the shows building up somebody you already know is
0: awesome but in a very subtle way right yeah, and uh, one last thing about the episode before i bounce to the next one uh that i feel need it just occurred to me i thought it needed to be mentioned and we talk so much about especially season one where those of us who maybe are not that knowledgeable about the food and service industry especially the restaurant industry um, probably feel like we learned so much about the inner workings of kitchens and the pressures and stresses and all the, all the different things and i can't believe we've, we've spent over an hour and 40 whatever minutes talking and we haven't referred to each other as chef or as any I said please and thank you what's, what's wrong with us I, was, I, I meant to call you chef at the end of every sentence so i screwed up the podcast already we're gonna have to re-record now it's okay um, chef. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, chef. So um, I'm going to get the rest of the podcast. So, um, but what I think something that really made this episode also very appealing for people. Um, in a weird way, it's kind of like when you watch a heist film and you see how they put the heist together and all the planning and how all the little things and the things are passed on to this one and that one, whatever. And the inner workings of uh of this restaurant, and this is supposed to be one of the, like, a three-star, one of the greatest restaurants there, there is. People wait months to get in here. And the system of notes and listening to customers and everything that's, that, that happens throughout this episode, which we then see put into play later on, of course. And that's how, you know, Richie utilizes it. Which, oh, by the way, I think, I think the lessons Richie learns in this episode that he uses in subsequent episodes, also lend themselves to why people love this episode the way richie is either he's part of interviewing someone to to work there or how he's instructing people as far as watching the tables or as you say as you mentioned earlier when he basically stands in for sydney at the expo in those five minutes and but this is what he learned there it it makes why this episode is so important to the season and his character, but also well, that's why we end up loving the episode so much. Like, Oh, it was f- so much fun, whatever, but informative and insightful. And, and it was important. Eh, really good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. Episode nine. That's right. We're b- we're bouncing over to episode nine because you know, good Lord. And episode nine was omelet. Hey, look, it was also directed by the creator Star, and written by Star and Kala Now look, when you have an episode that's preceding what's supposed to be a big event, Whatever show, it could be a mission, an election, a battle, or in the Bears case, a restaurant opening, soft opening, family and friends, as you pointed out, you expect the preceding episode to be the calm before the storm. And in some ways, I think Omelette, it is that. I don't know if it's so much soothing as it is kind of like stress being compressed or in some cases decompressed. It's kind of like actors rushing to the stage before the curtain rises. It's all about the people; they're they're finding their place or their station before you know the dam breaks and the doors open, and all of a sudden shit starts getting real here. So we we come to this episode when we have like a, a somewhat frazzled Sydney. We talked about it before, but it seems to be more the case in this episode because she's fearful that failure uh, this time around is something that she won't recover from, no matter how supportive her lovely dad is. And the fact is. We see her walking through the neighborhood, and she sees one of the restaurants that she visited during her taste test marathon back in episode three, and that was the one that was the location where that chef even warned her about partners and someone that they're closing. So I, I think that's kind of you know it's just one more reminder like oh yeah this is this is, this venture. <laughs> It's hugely risky, and these are people. They knew what they were doing. They had the experience. Whatever they they thought they had ducked all those issues, and they're still closing. So it, it it's just it's almost like the portent of doom is kind of out there from the get go in this episode.
1: Yeah, it's uh, this is like uh, Sydney walking, you know, the Stations of the Cross um, and seeing the the challenges that lay ahead and uh you know seeing her biggest fears realized in front of her and filling her i think with the anxiety that manifests in episode 10 that add to that karma carmy's instability with her his unreliableness and so like her reservoir of dread is filling up which i think leads to her sort of you know freezing in in episode 10
0: Right. Because like her 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 early interaction with Carmi here, you know, it's somewhat awkward but ultimately okay. That's where he only just now finds out that her mom has been dead for years. You know, hence not having a great relationship with her mom. It's kinda of how she kinda of bobbles and muffs that conversation with Marcus, who by the way, Marcus, eh? Probably not the best time to even come close to asking the queen of stress over here for a bite. You know, after the night is over, he probably I think Marcus is such a genuinely good guy, but he might not necessarily be the most perceptive guy. (laughs) It's not about whether she'd be interested. I was like, maybe not the best time. (laughs) But it's fitting that another person who's load bearing a bunch of stress, sugar, she goes to a happy place. Happy place, due to an omelet that Sydney sweetly volunteers to make for her. And as Sydney remarks later on, that's also the one moment of calm and joy Sid ha- gets to experience in this day, because she's in her element. She's cooking with compassion. She's you know crushing sour cream and onion chips and chopped chives on a beautifully made omelet. But as as she responds to Carmi later in that conversation they're having with by the, when they're they're uh, trying to tighten up the table and stuff, um, she still loves to cook. And hey, I think it's the first time we got to use my 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 2023 phrase <laughs> so far. At the end of the day, <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're doing what you love, doesn't that make up for all the other bullshit you got to deal with otherwise? And I think that's. To me, I think that's the thing that she has. That's the rim she needs to be hanging on. And I think that's kind of what the show is kind of like, kind of very subtly saying with her as well. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, and it's simple, but it's done for somebody with, with compassion, with just a moment of wanting to give somebody like comfort, like, you know, and, and show somebody like you care, like just to take the time to make the food for her. And, and, you know, uh, sugar even is like, like, you don't have to do that. And she's like, no, 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 it's no big deal. And in that moment, she just gets this bit of inspiration to just, you know, crush chips or something. Cause I think later she says to Carmi, like, you know what, like, you know, you know what I did that kind of worked out. And she talks about
0: crushing the chips. Sounds like fire. <laughs> yeah. 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 Also, to, just, to, just to hop on what you're saying here, think about sugar. Someone just made her something to eat out of the pure, pure kindness of their heart with no expectation of compliment or, or overt appreciation. Right. They want, just wanted to watch you. They actually maybe would have watched you eat it with, and, and taken joy in the fact that you enjoy it. Right. That's what sugar wanted from her mother or needed right. from her mother and wouldn't right. get. But Sydney provides it.
1: And it was given freely; with no strings attached. Like, exa- yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. like she gave it to her freely with no strings attached, and enjoyed it. I mean, it, it's like the equivalent of the hug she wanted from John Mulaney. Like in a stressful moment, like Sydney just provided her comfort and with no strings attached.
0: Right. So I'll, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because, if I'm not mistaken, this is also the episode um, where we see Carmi early on. I think it's probably. I'll say it's hours after having some bizarre blue-tinted uh, sex with Claire Bear. Very <laughs> experienced experiences what first appears to be, it's like almost the beginning of a panic attack. You get those flashes. Past and present. Thundering in his head. His family, his past. Images of some things we saw in the fishes episode. And one of the things I really wanted to point out, I thought it was just a nice little detail. They slipped in there. We see drawings of Claire that I think are just referenced only that one time in the Fishes episode when Richie and Mike are talking about setting up, setting him up with Claire. One right. of them, I think Richie, mentions how he used to draw pictures of her back in high school. It's almost like a throwaway line that you might not hear in the confusion of the chaos of everything because he's yelling at them, whatever. But when you see it, and I don't even know if one of them might even be on loose-leaf paper for all I know, but it's got a whole... There's the drawings. It's almost like a, a nearly subliminal callback that again viewers might have missed, but you know, but it really hits you if you want on the second viewing. But with Carmi, he's got his major issues in this episode. Um, the le- not the least of which um, the that unvoiced but clear thought um, at this point that he can't manage having someone in his life and the restaurant at the same time. And, and of course we see how, how that comes to its you know, disastrous end in, 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 the cooler in the, in the final episode. Um, now I gotta say, I gotta take Carmi aside here. I put my, put my hand on his shoulder here. Like, dude, I'm not sure this is true. I mean, if there couldn't be a way to simply scale things back with a woman who literally works in an ER, she knows a little something about stress and deals time management issues all the time. Eh, it, it may, uh, since I know this, this podcast is probably going to be like 98.9% superlative about about the bear, I will ring one of the very few slightly not so positive notes about the season, my opinion at least. One of the very, very, very few flaws of this whole season um, is some of the issues with Claire. Now, look. I don't mean the actress, I think and and the character, she seems lovely. Her interactions with Carm, they're very clever. At times they have humor or there's poignancy and so on. But she doesn't all right. I'm gonna use a word, buckle up fans of Australian Survivor. I apologize. I thought i I finally I'm finally getting a chance to say it. She doesn't get much agency on her own. She seems to exist solely as is possible either extension or obstacle for Carmi. And it made me just, all I wished, I wished we had maybe another, I don't know, 10 to 15 minutes in the season to flesh her out a bit more and not have it feel like her existence is simply all about and predicated on Carmi from high school to now. Now, most of the episodes of the season, pretty short. One could have added a few scenes here or there to two or three of the episodes and could have accomplished this. Again, it's not, I I think she's, you know a lovely character and so on I keep using the word lovely tonight that's weird But I kept thinking ah, I, I kind of wish they did a little bit More with her just so I felt like She functioned Outside of The carminess of it all I don't know if I'm you know what I mean so again, it's literally one of maybe two issues I had with the entire season, and upon my rewatching these episodes, the other issue I had I think I'm like, eh, maybe it's not such an issue, which is more the um, I, I feel they didn't do enough with Abraham, the guy who didn't want to go decide not to go to the culinary institute, and they kind of just don't really played it i mean we got a couple of good scenes with him and tina later on i was like okay that's i guess that's fine that that was my main uh criticism
1: was i thought both tina and him could have had a little more and i would have liked to have not known a lot more about him like why was he like why did he not believe why did he disappear like yeah. like why did he have the issues he, that he
0: did to, yeah i mean and, they, they, they touch on them but i felt uh, I, I i felt that. There, there there was more there. The Tina thing—it's interesting you mentioned the Tina thing. The reason why the Tina thing doesn't bother me—here's why that doesn't bother me—that I thought Tina was just right this season, because Tina had the big character overhaul, change arc in season one. Tina, Tina went from being the most—you know—possibly the most negative, aggressive. You know, everything character in season one, and she transforms over the course of that season from beginning to end. Here, it's like she's now moved on to, it's almost like she's moved up, up, up the ladder. And she's doing things that Tina from season one couldn't possibly have done. And she's, and now she, and, and because she's been given that chance, she's given that opportunity, and she takes it. And she goes with it. So when you have the moment, like when she does the karaoke song in, in the bar at that time, and it's, it's the, the pride she takes when she gets comments from the people at both the culinary institute and then when she's in the kitchen. The fact that she keeps his knife is significant. I thought, okay, you can, there's only so many characters. You can only do so many things. Sure. I, I thought that was right for her. Whereas with Abraham, I thought, uh, it's a great scene between the two of them. And that's why I started going, all right, this is a really good scene. And maybe you don't need to fill that in for me as much as I thought I wanted it. But I kind of did. I did. You know, I agree with you. I, I kind of was. okay. my only thing is, but at least because of maybe discussing, you know, he's an older actor. There's something about, and he's one of those, I just believe him as a character, period. I don't even think about it being an actor at all, whatever. I feel like kind of like I almost create the story myself and, and function. whatever. Again, it's still, I'm not saying that was the other issue I had. So it definitely was on my mind. I just think the Claire issue was to me was a bigger issue. I, I think what, what interests me is, is the
1: life in a kitchen's not an old man's game. Um, it's a demanding, demanding job. Right. And that dude's in the kitchen and he's not a spring chicken. Like, I mean, he has to have some resilience and some toughness. Um, and and I, so I want to know more about him. I, like,
0: I agree. I agree. I, I, I agree. Well, we, we've talked, we always talk about certain shows and, you know, if a show leaves you wanting more, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Exactly. Um, it's just in a such a fine 10 episode season. You know, they gave us two more episodes in season one. They gave us, they gave us more time. Plus, and plus, one of those episodes again, it's an hour and change, you know. Um, it's almost like, oh, could you just giving us, you know, like between the two characters, you know, cause, cause it was like 20 something more minutes this season. Right. To fill that in. Again, it, it's, you know, it, is it still like an A plus season? Yeah, pretty much. You know, it's, it's not A plus plus. I don't know. Um. Let me let me let me dip back into the episode because we gotta finish with something before we get to the finale here. Uh I already mentioned the painting so I can skip right over that. Now, remember at the top of the podcast, I raved about Uncle Jimmy Cicero and how great he is all season. His scene with Carmi in this episode is no different. Even if the moral of the whole Cubs Alex Gonzalez error story eh, it's a, hey, look, it's a little muddled. <laughs> you know, it's still Hey, you know what? It's a swell little monologue he's got going there. And by the way, I counted. There are 25, 25 versions of the word fuck in that story. <laughs> so he just, he blew past Steve Martin in that scene in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which I believe I remember being 17 times. 25. 25 fucks. Fucks, fuckers, fucking, fuck off, fuck up, whatever. Oh, my Lord. But love that scene love him in the episode and i we mentioned this i mentioned a scene earlier um i don't really i don't do i want to bring this up all right i'm gonna give it 20 seconds and that's it the scene when Carmi and sydney are fixing the table and i what i liked about it it's it's almost like they're rebonding the two of them here and i'm just gonna go shame and you're idiots to the people out there who, who who especially based on that scene if not earlier scenes thought that these two should be shipped no 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 you shouldn't do that don't do that no 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 that that that's no I am no 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 you're missing the point of the scene no no you're not shipping these two I just won't take it that out I want to get Yeah, I, I
1: agree I agree they're bought they're bond
0: something different yeah that's not that you, you, you didn't yeah you can't you know, uh, it made me angry when I put that. It's just like, you're missing the point of... So, let's go to the final episode. Episode 10, The Bear. Again, creator, directed, star. Written by Kelly Goluska, who's better known for writing some of the best current animated series episodes. Shows like Human Resources, Big Mouth, and Boo Jack Horseman. This is the episode, basically, when the restaurant all comes together, but Carmy falls apart. (laughs) Uh... Practically now, over the course of the season, feeding right into this episode, I've, I've kind of referenced before. Like every, it seems like every character, every actor who portrays him, has at least one, if not multiple, shining moments this season. Even when we were talking about Abraham, it's like you would think, oh, he didn't really, yeah. But you know what? The scene with him and Tina by the drive thru window—that was kind of nice. That was kind of it. You know, it, it wasn't as showy as any other characters, but it was something. But I think it's the more unexpected ones, and if we got a big one with him, that maybe that would be one of those. That really deserve noting more than, like I always say, the likely suspects. And this episode features, to me, the biggest one of them all. And we've you've mentioned him earlier. What did you call him? The, the was it the, the the lovable doofus or something? Yeah. Yes, Pete, played by let's gonna get the actor's name in here, Chris Wataski. He gets the scene with Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, Donna Brazzato. Who apparently was able to bring herself to the restaurant window, but is unable to enter because she doesn't want to take away from her children's accomplishment. It's an agonizing scene, and especially for this and for this guy, he's been portrayed. I, I, I had a lovable schmuck written down here. It's kind of similar, uh, schmuck, doofus, whatever. Um, you know, Jewish, because you know, eighty-seven percent. Um, It's really one of the most memorable things about the entire episode, which is not taking away from the rest of the episode. It's his performance and the way he's trying to reason with her, to calm her down, to, to bring her inside, and ultimately it just has to agree with her. This is one time he can not use the word okay around her, I guess. Uh, before <laughs> And then it gets compounded when he goes back and he sits across from Sugar and he still has like tears in his eyes and she doesn't know what's going And he can't say anything about it, which you know is probably tearing him apart. I, it, it was a total surprise for me. I, I, I just think, I thought this guy's almost just like a walk on dude. I, I actually, I actually had to go look him up and see, oh, he's, he's actually done a lot of things. He's a, he's actually a known dude, whatever. I, I yeah. didn't, I didn't know that. But it, 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 again, it doesn't shock us when we see, um, the actor playing Carme have like, um, an amazing, powerful scene or even Rich, or, you know, you know, that's why, that's, that, that's why they're, they're, they're up there on the cast list this guy never saw that coming. And I thought that, and that's what made it, I think so, so special to me. It it, it is. And, and the thing
1: I thought was remarkable about it is he's sort of an afterthought in the holiday party. Yep. Like, and and he never really interacts with her. Like he comes in, and they're like, you know, don't show her the tuna casserole. Or that'll be eight fishes. And and you know, that's why I sort of say he's the lovable doofus. Like you know, he he, he even I think Mulaney says his heart's in the right place, or somebody says something oh, like, so like 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 you know, he he's a like he's he's a good dude. And I think what the the subtext of it is is like he's so sad that she can't come in because like he, she would be proud of it and she'd be proud of her daughter and he knows his wife wants her love so bad. And, and to then not only like her toxicity, like bleeds onto him and then like she makes him promise not to tell. And it's, it's really sad. And his reaction kind of shook me it was surprising, but then as the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, I get it. Like he really loves, he really loves sugar and like, he really thought maybe this could be like a healing moment. Like she comes in and sees the kids are successful. Right. Right. And, but she can't do it. She, she can't do it. I mean, it's all about her. And, uh, are,
0: are they married? Are, are the people, I don't know. married. I don't know if they. I, don't, I, I for some reason I just assumed I, they weren't, but they could be because I, I know, I know she's. I know she's pregnant. They might be. I, I don't remember if they're shown a ring. I, I, I can't remember. Are, but I mean, but, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't this, matter. Right. I mean, I'm just. I'm just more curious. Like, wait, right? You? Because one but, of the. But one, we established there's a h- lengthy history. Right, right. Because when we know they were a thing five they're years together ago, together five years ago, and good lord, the the big thing in that thing is when he, not realizing it, reveals that. Sugar is pregnant to her mom, and she hasn't, oh yeah, she hasn't told her mom, yeah. which he didn't, and he didn't know that. Right. Which is kind of interesting that he didn't know that. But if she had, although part of me wants to go, oh okay, I'm not gonna. The writing is so amazing on the show. I don't want to give them shit for anything. But don't you think if Sugar had told her mom? she would have mentioned it to Pete at some point that she told her mom about the kid. Cause that would be kind of like a big fucking thing. So why would you think that? <laughs> you know? Maybe, but, but given the benefit of the doubt to this
1: show, their relationship may be such that she tells Pete, she talks to her mom, but mm-hmm. she doesn't.
0: That's true. You're right.
1: Um, but yeah, I agree. G- great scene. And I like, I like the conceit of this episode that, we get a lot of the characters coming in for friends and family, so you get to pull in you know yeah. uh, Sydney's dad and y- you get to pull in uh, Claire, you know with her friend that that uh, I think it's funny too, like the facts wanted like, to bring all those people. And they're like no. no, <laughs> oh, the
0: facts are so they're, they're so ridiculous. And they're beautifully it's... ridiculous. You know, I, I agree with John Mulaney. I'd like to get a weekly update from them, too. <laughs> um, what else do we have happening in this episode? We have Marcus and Sid kind of falter to an, an uncomfortable moment, which has made that much more so because until that moment, Marcus is the sweetest, nicest guy. And then in that moment, he's not. Right. And either he's just, and he's just, and, it's clear he's just not reading it's almost like not reading the room to be to be honest but you know he's not reading the situation and he's making it about himself like "Mm, dude none of this has anything to do with you know you ham-handedly trying to ask her out before shouldn't have done that but you know let it go but it was but i love that they rebound over firing the dude <laughs> josh yeah who's smoking crack up crack out back and that's that guy from uh, i think it's from saturday night live uh something uh, moffett can't remember his first name <laughs> wasn't that interesting um and we talked about before i think one of the shining moments of the entire episode of course is richie who goes from being ancillary as he put it about himself in the forks he becomes the most important member of that staff that night. He saves the night. And he's in many ways kind of the MVP of this episode, in my opinion. And I love that little moment. I referenced it already. Unfortunately, I didn't know. I don't know why I said it ahead of time. I love the moment where he clearly remembered the chocolate banana story that Uncle Jimmy told um, his then wife at the holiday dinner. And it's just an, a little unexpected, but moving moment. Like, oh, yeah, that I didn't even, I never even occurred to me. It was just,
1: it's it, beautiful. And, and you see, uh, you see, uh, Uncle Jimmy like be genuinely touched by it. Yeah, it's it, it's just yeah. And it, and it's one of those. It's funny. Like, it's one of those things. Like, listen to your diners. Like, as, you know, as you're in the room, but like he's remembering that from five
0: years ago. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly, exactly. That's very good, Brian. I didn't didn't even put that together. I'm so stupid. All right, whatever. I'm allowed to be stupid. My podcast. All right. (laughs) What else do we have in this this podcast? This episode. We have Carmen. I keep calling it the cooler because I just like saying cooler. Yeah, I like that too. I'm a great escape fan, you know, can't help it. And plus, I just like saying, so we got Carmen in the cooler. And we all knew, I'm going to start doing the podcast like Walter well, Dwindle, And we all knew that Claire would bend up outside the door when he essentially was blowing up the relationship in a self-loathing rant. Yeah. We, I mean, my only problem, it wasn't really a problem again. It's one of those things like, Oh, I know that. I know that's how they're going to do this. I know that I, that I, I can see it moving that direction. It's like, okay, I'm all right with that. I'm just, I'm just wondering what it is he's gonna say, but I know that's what's gonna happen. He's gonna be, he's gonna rant about something, not knowing she's on the other side of the door. I know that's where they're going, and you know whatever. It's interesting because some of what this part of me wants to go. Hey, is what he said really that bad? I mean he's obviously upset whatever if you take out like one cent one or two sentences it's really not that bad.
1: <laughs> I, I think
0: it, it it's, it's not great not really it's sad, not great
1: but, it's but it, but, but, I, but i'll say there's there's two things that there's two things that pointed to to other than just knowing him and thinking this this will be bad that one of the surprises is that he never makes it out of the cooler like during the, the service like that that's really an an interesting idea that they did that. But, you know, there's sort of two things that sort of point to him falling apart. And one is like, you know, the episode Forks, they talk about, you know, getting the forks right and that leads to everything else. And Sugar had asked him, are you sure about the forks? And he said he was sure and and there weren't enough forks. Like he got the forks wrong. And he also was supposed to call about fixing the handle and he let that slip. And that's the very reason he gets stuck in the cooler. Like he did it to himself.
0: By the way, was anyone keeping track of how many possible names the guy from who was supposed to be fixing the fridge had? I, oh, I yeah. believe it's. It was, I, be- I think it's at least four. It was a great running gag. The, the The last one was Terry, which was like, "Oh, Terry, like the like the chef." We had Tony. Yeah. <laughs> we had. I believe it was a. There was a Tom or Tommy or a Tim. They're all teenagers. Okay. No one seems, if no one knows the name, that's probably not a great sign. Right. But I think the more, the more significant thing with Carmi and the cooler, (laughs) cooler Carmi, it's not, yes, obviously him blowing, him, him unintentionally blowing up the relationship, whatever. Fine. Okay. It's what happens right after that. It's the fight between Carmi and Richie. Yeah. And it's interesting to watch that fight now because a, a a previous season, we're probably totally siding with Carmi and thinking whatever. And Richie's been this kind of irritant and whatever. It's like, nope, Richie is right. <laughs> Car- and then, and then Carmi goes into this litany of shit about Richie, which is almost reminiscent of Uncle Lee going yes. off on, on Mikey, you know, it, it's, Eerily similar to that. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's like you we're watching this episode and there's the stresses of getting stuff prepared and all the issues happening in the restaurant and all the craziness that happens, everything, you know, th- th- you know, one thing after the other. And all of a sudden it's in those, these last five, seven, whatever minutes of the episode. That's when all of a sudden I don't, I didn't, I didn't feel the gut punch so much with. Did the, the Claire break up quite as much? I mean it was sad. I'm not gonna We got it after that. We got yeah. it in the fight between the two of them. And then when after that, when Carmi plays the message on his phone, that's that's the kick in the teeth moment with Claire. That's the one I go, oof. Oh man. How's how's he not gonna pull a Mikey now? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. But
1: (laughs) well, I I I liked uh, I like that it's like in Breaking Bad when early on you root for Walter Mm. and you know you hate Hank and at some point I mean not that I ever loved Hank but at some point you're like I don't know man Hank's kind of right Walter's kind of becoming you know not the best guy And, and you know there's this flip that you're on Richie's side in that fight. And, and the, the funny thing is, is Richie's saying positive things to him. Like, yes, you know, like, like, like it's not a fight like where he's calling him a piece of shit. He's like, he's like, what are you doing, man? Like, like she's a great girl. Like, why are you, why do you do this to yourself? Like, like it's not like, he's not saying you're terrible. And so, so unlike the Lee, you know, Michael fight, it's like, Carmi can't even take in like you know richie telling him like to be better like that, that he deserve. he even says like you deserve better
0: does he not say what in the midst of their fight before he just loses completely does not richie repeat i fucking love you a couple yeah a couple times
1: yeah like, like 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 michael and him in the pantry yeah
0: yeah oh the uh, Another, you know, I, I, yeah, I love the construction of that, that earlier scene because I love how you can have so much poignancy and it's all filtered around a lot of use of profanity. <laughs>
1: so, right. So. And and it's and it's, you know, another beautiful like, you know, sort of thing. It, it picks up on it. Uh, I, I thought it was a great ending because it, it ends like in this total, um, you know, chaos where Richie's the one that held it all together. And like, this is just friends and family night. So, so where does season three go? You know, uh, who who knows? But, but I I thought it was a really, really uh, curious choice to end there. and made me really interested to see,
0: you know, what happens in season three. Uh, But, but yeah, I mean, the the only other things I, I just want to throw out really quick and then, then I can move on. Um this was the episode where I mentioned earlier when um when when Sid, when Sid is out and doing and as she told us she was going to, so there shouldn't be a surprise when Sid was like, Oh she's gonna go throw up for a while, whatever. Yeah. That's when her dad says it's the thing. I I thought that yeah. was just a great little moment there. We do have the every second counts comes back at the end yep. as well and that's kind of a thing. And there is one more thing. But one more bummer thing that happens that make that everyone well everyone with a with you know half a heart would go oh man it's when we realize Marcus hasn't seen all the missed calls and messages on his phone that undoubtedly mean that his mother has passed away right and that's. That that it, 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 it's like it, it's like showing how even in the midst of all this, you know, not counting Carmi, Carmi's breakup and the cooler, because everything else was a success, that then, then something like this can happen. So Right. But and, but, 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 but I mean said. I think
1: I think that goes to the the what you're saying and the, you know, the themes that run through this, the show's consistent about um, you know, and I think Will Poulter sort of said it in the Copenhagen, like, if you're going to do this, like you got to do it, like, like, you know, like, right. like there's no half ass it or whatever. And like, when you're in that environment, that's the thing. And that's it. Like, you, you don't take a call from your parents. You don't step out back to smoke math or crack or whatever. like, like. It's, you know the the all consuming commitment to this work while you're
0: doing it I don't, I don't know if it was Poulter so much, but I know Uncle Jimmy says that to him in that conversation that he has to has to, it has to be has to do it all that's what that's the conversation that ends with the great when oh, it's so good again i end i end there, i i i other than one more section one more little aspect of the whole show I want to talk about um I started by talking about Oliver Platt and the Uncle Jimmy character. I left this one little bit out so I'll mention it now cuz it came tr- it kind of came true to a certain extent or or it resonated with Carmi in not the best way perhaps when Carmi reveals him towards the end of the conversation they actually is seeing somebody has a girl whatever and uncle Jimmy is happy for him it's it's great amazing nose. but his one thing he has to say, but also uh-oh yeah <laughs> the uh the uh-oh is beautiful by the way it's just it's uh it says, it says so much. There's, there's never, it only recently that I become aware. Is how because M- Mr. S- Mr. Supposedly smart is actually pretty stupid. More often than not. I didn't know until the last few months that when you do that thing, when you kind of go with your hand and whatever, it's you, called, the, a, chef's it's called chef. a chef's kiss. There's never been a show more appropriate of a chef's kiss than this one, chef. So it, yes. Yes, chef.
1: I agree. Chef.
0: So chef, um, <laughs> <laughs> this is usually something that you would kind of do. I think you've done something like this on some of our other, a couple of our other podcasts. I don't remember what shows we talked about. I don't, we don't need to be counting because we're already at like two, like 18 hours again. Um, but I wanted to cite a few things and, that, and I'm actually going to go to a couple of, and, and at least two times I'm going to go to a specific moment on an episode. And I, and I was going to put in a little sound effect here. I'm too tired. So. <laughs> Yeah, you know, was gonna be I was gonna reuse the record scratched I used on the Scott Forgot the 80s thing earlier this week. I'm not gonna do it. But I, I wanna talk about some of my favorite uh, major needle drops for season two. And the first one is the big one. I'm not saying it's the best one, but I can make that case. I'm not saying it is. But it's the most oft-repeated one. And me being a big fan of the band and knowing the song very extremely well, I was kinda of like, oh, Strange Currencies by R.E.M., which is from their album Monster back from 1994, which is a very good album. It just unfortunately followed Automatic for the People, which was a mm, chef's kiss. Perfect album. Strange Currencies is used in episodes 2, 5, and 9. So we we get to hear it not once, not twice. It's three times. It very much seems to be a Carmy song. And I will talk about that a bit later why that is because that i want to tie that to something else that's at the very end of the series other songs i thought were interesting the use of i like them using goodbye girl by squeeze mm-hmm. from, and that was in episode three this uh, the, the taste test episode um i forget the title of it sunday um you know why i liked it because when i think squeeze is usually like two or three obvious go-to songs you know, Muscles from a Shell, which would have been funny in a cooking show. You know, Black Coffee in Bed, could have worked that one in too. Um then there's the other one. Uh, <laughs> i just just drawing. You know the one I'm talking about. when they go to yes. the airport and all the other crap. It's the one I actually sing, and I can't remember the title all of a sudden. I like that they picked a song that wasn't the obvious choice, but it was immediately recognized. Oh, it's Squeeze. Well, oh, by the way, can I just – now, I know I've read somewhere – more and more people are using the subtitle or closed captioning function when they watch TV or shows. And I, I applaud that. I am all for it. I str- if you don't, I strongly encourage when you watch a show like The Bear to put that on, because they will identify all the songs and pieces of music used, and even have the lyrics, which can play a part in the show. Like, there's an... I didn't put it here. Like, they use an instrumental part of a Nine Inch Nails song in an episode. I, I'm a Nine Inch Nails fan. I don't think I would have known or recognized that. And it made me go back and listen to the entire track. You know, I was like, ah, oh. anyway, one of my favorite funny uses is <laughs> because I didn't expect to hear it in a, in a show like this in the, the Copenhagen based episode. We get to hear Holiday Road. Oh yeah. The Lindsay fucking song from, uh, we all know from vacation. That was amazing. And yet, and how can you have an episode that has That song, which is a silly movie song, whatever. And you also get, I've been loving you too long to stop now by Otis Redding. And it's Mm -hmm. um, a lot of that is played. It's just such an agonizing, great track. It just, and I wouldn't have put Otis Redding together with images of Copenhagen, but it really kind of moves really nicely. Sometimes I like to do thematic things on the show. I noticed, I noticed that like episode five, opened and ended with different songs by the replacements who have a very distinct sound to them. You know, and if you're not familiar with The replacements, YouTube or whatever, Spotify, they open with bastards of young, the end with can't hardly wait. I was going, huh? I, I never thought I would hear two replacement songs in one shot. That's really something. And then we have the one that I, I don't know if I would have known as clearly, if not for a few months ago, based on, um, that other podcast I did, the Scott forgot the eighties one, where a few months ago, we f- I finally watched and did, did a podcast about pretty and pink. Well, they use pretty and pink, yep. the psychedelic first song, and they use it in the, in the moment where Carmi and Claire go to the house party. And of course, there's at least one, there's a scene in Pretty Pink where she goes to a, a house party, which she really shouldn't have gone to. It's like, oh, why would, why would you invite her to this? Whatever. So I thought, that's a little on the nose there, but I'll go, it's fine. Um, obviously, the Taylor Swift stuff in Forks, I mean, I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but Richie singing along with and rocking out to Taylor Swift is hysterical. The most triumphant use of music in the entire season, when they bring back animals, by Pearl Jam in the final episode. It's a musical callback to the use of that Pearl Jam song. And by the way, that great Pearl Jam song, back in season one, that's the song they closed the very first episode with. And they did that, and I always felt in that very first episode of, of the show, this is, we're making a statement with this song, and just dropping it like that. It's like, you know, it's it's such a great, brutal, brief little Pearl Jam song. So when Richie takes over at the expo, you know, the clock is at the five minutes and counting, when it's in the way they do it, where, where Sid says drive and S- Richie starts doing his thing and the music starts, it's like ah, that's it's as rousing as like if you were a kid watching one of the Rocky movies in the theater and they start playing the Rocky music when he's beating the hell out of somebody. It's like ah, it's great. Oh, yeah. And finally, now I'm going to hook back to the strange currency thing. The season ends with a return to Arium, instead of strange currencies, they end with. Half a world away. That's from Out of Time. The album that obviously had Losing My Religion and so on and so forth. Another great album. Now it's interesting when I look at the use of these songs, cause Strange Currencies lyrically, um it's kind of about it's like pleading, needing to prove a person's love for another, you know, stubbornly to the point of near obsession. Um and so that's kind of reflective of Carmi during the course of the season. Half a world away is about moving on from past loss, is being able to cope and live alone after the mistakes one has made. Which is what happens at the end of this at the season that oh you you you've lost, you've lost it. He's lost, you know. It was just such an inch, and again, it's it's a it's a really I I really like that song a lot. It was one of those oh that's I don't know if I've heard I don't think I've actually listened to that song. Probably years it again made me want to go on and I just sat and just listened to it at home. I, I just love the framing of the use of the REM songs for this season and, and the fact that it, it really was just an additional way of telling the story of the season, at least and especially of Carmi's character. But you could also look at some of uh, the loss that others might have dealt, be dealing with for that song at the end of it. But I think it's more about Carmi than anything else, quite frankly. But I, I just really thought that was impressive. And yes, there was like probably fifty other things I could have mentioned that got played this <laughs> this season. But you know, I was I figured, well, by the time we hit the two and a half final mark, how much music can I mention? Especially because I can't play any of the music, because, you know, licensing issues. So <laughs> But I thought you'd like that. Oh, I love
1: it. I mean you hit most of the points I would I I would just add to it. Um the playlist oh. for this season, if you go look at it. Mm-hmm is 63 songs that they licensed. And one you didn't mention that I love, that I would have never thought I would see in a show like this. And it was in one of the late promotional videos, but I love that they used ACDC, If You you Want Blood.
0: Oh, yeah, they ended episode with that one, yeah.
1: Like, I love that. If if You Want Blood, You Got It. Like, I thought that was great. I mean, looking through the list, if you just look through the list, you know, Brian Wilson, they use Vegetables, The, the Pixies, Valoria, Liz Fair, you know, Nine as you said, Nine Inch Nails. They even threw in a band I've seen live and like they threw in a Decemberist song. Oh,
0: December. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: The Decemberists were in there. They used David Byrne. They used two or three Steve Earl songs. Yep. Uh, you know, from the nostalgia, you had Crowded House, Something So Strong. Uh, and I like that uh I love because I thought it set the tone. I love that for one of their Christmas songs, they use the Ramones for the Christmas song during the flashback episode. Oh yeah,
0: I don't want to fight tonight. Yeah,
1: yeah, I don't want to fight tonight. Like, like how how perfect was that? I mean, but you had George Harrison, Elvis Costello. Um, you know, the replacements are one of my favorites. Uh, I got to see them live one time, and I'm forever grateful that I did. Um, but just the, the the music selection of this season really worked, and I can't even imagine what they paid for it. Um, I mean, it's less than it used to be, uh, but like, I mean, they really got heavy hitters, and and I mean, I'm sure they even if they didn't pay much for a replacement song, you know, getting a Taylor Swift song wasn't cheap, right? So, but but I mean, it
0: helped. Sh- it helps being as critically acclaimed as a show is because then people want to be part of that. Right. Exactly. And, and also it's become, especially with the stranger things phenomenon that happened, uh, last Kate year, whatever. With Kate Bush, um, and to a lesser extent with the, with the even with the Metallica song, whatever. Yeah. And yeah. hell, you can go all the way back to, you can go all the way back in time to the journey song at the end of the Sopranos, quite frankly. yeah. um, or the Nirvana song with the, the Batman movie, uh, yeah. whatever. Um, something it, in the way it's yeah. a rev, it's a, it, become, it be it's a, it's a, it's a potential revenue stream beyond the licensing fee it, because people start downloading it and that's how they access it. So and it
1: makes me whatever. so happy. It was for REM because, uh, I think REM was like one of my favorite bands in high school yep. and they weren't for the cool kids. They weren't for the, you know, um, I, I saw them live on the first date of the Green World tour. They played at then Louisville, and I drove by myself because none of my friends in college liked them. I drove by myself to Louisville and watched them with Robin Hitchcock and the Egyptians opening, which made, made me fall in love with this weird Englishman named Robin Hitchcock. But, um, uh, like, it, it's so great. And I noticed if you go to their music page, uh, REM released Strange Currencies as a single on June 23rd. So. Of course they did. So I hope they get some revenue out of it because I love that band, love those guys. But, you know, like uh, the only thing I would say about this show is uh, as much as I was surprised by and loved season one, I'm going to agree with you. Season two was better, and yeah. which which blew me away.
0: Like uh, I was moved at various times. Uh, I never expect I never expected the second season to be better than the first one. I thought the first one was, was just nicely perfect. And I was like, okay, I'm sure it was going to be good. I didn't think it. I mean because we don't often see that. But it happens no, it, it happens. Hey, we could we know we, we, we both know shows. The second, second season are justified is better than the first yes. season justified and so on and, and and millions of other examples.
1: But yeah. A show this good the second season you hope is as good as the first. Right. You never anticipate it will like, I think it did all the things it did well in season one and it did those things again, but played new rhythms and, you know, and I I thought that was possible because there was the one episode like where they went and catered Jimmy's party. that was sort of away from the restaurant. So you, you did see there was potential there to branch out a little bit and still tell an interesting story. But to to sort of zoom in on Marcus and Tina um and zoom in on Richie and then do what they did, I, I mean, right. I thought it was fascinating.
0: And plus, we, so. we, have, we have a habit of being big fans of shows where quite often the subsequent seasons are better than the earlier ones, be it the second better than the first. I mean, season two of Breaking Bad is better than season one or yep. or. Better Call Saul. I would say the same thing, quite frankly, yeah. and so on and so forth. One last thing: um, we, I, because I, I mentioned it a few times. We should, even if only, even if we only want to spend a minute on this, if, if at all, um, that aforementioned debate, the episode. As, okay, let let us assume we're talking. It's between those two episodes. I think that's a safe assumption. As much as I think, like, the other four that we talked about this episode, the finale is great, I love the Copenhagen episode, Sydney, taste, whatever, but it, I get to use it twice at the end of the day. the end of the day. You know it's between fishes chef. and forks. Yes, Chef. So, <laughs> please and thank you, Chef. <laughs> <laughs> Behind. Anyway. <laughs> I think I know your answer. I think you might have even already said it, so maybe I'm just confirming that I heard it before which one are you going with
1: for me it's six and it's six because as as much as seven unlocks this season six unlocks the whole show like like six is the rosetta stone for for the whole show and tells you why all of them are the way they are and the reason all of them are in the house, the facts, you know, Jimmy is because like, like there's this thing in their universe that once, once they open the door on mama, you, you, you get the full story for the characters that, that are still around. Um, Seven unlocks the second half of, of season two and, and leads to, you know, a, triumph both of richie and a success in the kitchen that is that is triumphant and why it's the callback with animal is it's you know like that's that's the key to that and i love the i love the timer like it made me think of like the old battlestar galactic episode 33 like you (laughs) you set the time and like we got to be done in five minutes or the cylons come and blast us but i love that episode so for me it's six because it's 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 the key to the whole, whole
0: show. So I think the best episode was back in season one. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> although you can make the case for the, the crazy kitchen one in season one. Yeah. So. However, um, yeah, I mean, I, I probably made it seem somewhat obvious where I was going to go the way I spoke about the two episodes earlier. I would also be going with episode six. Um, that is not to say that I do not love episode 7 i absolutely, absolutely. absolutely do and to again to, to create a, a a beautifully perfectly constructed episode as as episode 7 is is a wonder and i and as you know and not to get all but you know i also look at things not just as a viewer or a podcaster i'm also the the, the writer in me and i can kind of see i can kind of visualize and see how they how an episode episodes put together and i can very clearly see how, how that one was structured whatever um but that's what made episode six that much more impressive to me Cause I felt that's, that's a very difficult episode to pull off. It's the, uh, what's, the, what's the phrase of uh, the, it's the spinning plates kind of an episode. There's a lot of, it's plate, frenetic. There's a lot of plates spinning there. Yeah. And yet, even with that, there are, we referred to one moment being, uh, the Richie and Tiffany upstairs moment, but there's actually a few moments, sp- we'll use the phrase that you did it, sprinkled, sprinkled throughout mm-hmm. the episode. That are moments of calm or moments of humor. It could yeah, be Michelle and the
1: facts, Michelle and the know. facts,
0: or, or 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 Stevie and the facts, for that matter. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. You, know, you do you do get a few moments here, just not that. And then you get and then the reverse. All of a sudden, you get you get moments of of, of pure emotion. Whether it be, um Carmy and his brother, or, or or like or Carmi and cousin Michelle, like because she we that and that actually that scene. Is, is really significant because it also tells us that because she's worried about carmy yeah and she's saying you need to stay away and we realize that there's a concern for his mental health that and he's so, not
1: or maybe even sobriety
0: right exactly exactly so i thought i mean there's so many little pieces to that episode that kind of just that that just you know flip through the entire it, it's it, it's it's such a stupendous episode it has to be that one. I think I gave it away when I said, you know, five years from now that might be in the greatest TV episode of all time. Uh, but I pretty much I, I gave that one somebody, away. That I was going to go with that.
1: <laughs> I said to somebody the other day, at the end of the year, top ten episodes of twenty twenty three. That'll be on list. Like, oh, yeah. like it, it, it'd be crazy if it's not. And the moment when you were saying that, I thought of uh, when I earlier said, like cousin Jim or uncle Jimmy, like the way he handles the job with Richie yep. with Tiffany. So. Like that—that's played so against time. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, and, and she's so happy, and you can tell, like, like he's—he genuinely likes her, and he's happy for Richie. Right. And, and then we gives him the wink, you know, like, like it is just it's just beautiful. I, I, there's so much that happens in that episode. I understand how someone might be so discomforted by it. It's not their favorite. I, I'm not pissed at somebody who says they like seven better. They're wrong in my mind. Uh, it, it, but,
0: you but, know what... but, but six is a lot. All right. I'm, I'm going I'm to be mean here. And I don't mean. This, this, okay. I'm going to say right up front. You know what? I could do a mean analogy. I shouldn't do the mean analogy. I'll do the, I'll do the nice analogy. I'm going to go back to 1990, what year was that, 94, 1994, 1994, the movies of 1994. The Best Picture nominees from 1994, if I'm not mistaken, I think I got that right, because I'm just, I'm literally pulling this out of my fucking ass right now. So you have people, they're all about Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction, because it was vibrant and different and, and edgy and, 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 you know, funny but violent and whatever. And then you'd have, now, if I was going to do the mean analogy, and I don't want to do that because I love Forks. The mean analogy, well, one of the other movies was Forrest Gump. Makes you feel nice. I won't use that. That's mean. I'll go Shawshank Redemption because I love Shawshank Redemption. I love Shawshank Redemption. But Shawshank Redemption is a traditionally structured story as opposed to Pulp Fiction, it's life-affirming, it's positive by the end of it, you walk out with a Whereas Pulp Fiction does not necessarily, you might walk out there happy and then you realize, hey, you know all the characters, you know they're all actually de- except for Willis, they're all dead. <laughs> you know? Not that, not all dead, but Gibraltar certainly is. But you know what I'm talking about? J- just the edgy, mm-hmm. different kind of thing. And that, that's kind of how I'm likening this I'll use the sh- Shawshank's the nicer way to do it. Forrest is me being mean. Um,
1: anyway. I love that analogy because you know my son's named Quentin. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there that's, you not, go. that's not an accident.
0: So we went from run, we started the, we started the podcast talking about something a reference for reservation dogs, and now I should have been talking about Reservoir Dogs instead of Pulp Fiction. <laughs> but you know what? I think we need to bring our hopefully quite bearable discussion to a close because. Yeah, my gosh. But before I go through the usual wrap up, let me clue folks in on a few upcoming podcasts. Now, a few folks out there might recall either the Batman v Superman podcast done way back in the spring of 2016, or maybe you might recall the greatest TV episodes of all time installment that covered the Reigns of Castamere episode of Game of Thrones. Hopefully you remember, hopefully you watched, or excuse me, watched. Wow. Imagine I release a video podcast. Never going to (laughs) happen. (laughs) <laughs> hopefully hopefully the geekier among you have watched one of those. I said, watched again? Wow. <laughs> My special co-host for those two podcasts was the incredibly eloquent and knowledgeable Pat Spinagle. And I don't care if I mispronounce his name. And I've somehow managed to get Pat to come back for at least one, hopefully two, more movie themed episodes of the series TV drama podcast. I'm going to say these are tentatively scheduled because she it happens and things can get postponed, canceled and who knows. But this very week, Pat and I are planning to be talking about that adventuresome archaeologist, Indiana Jones. And we are not just going to be talking about the current film, Indiana Jones and the dial of destiny. Hell, we are going to touch on all five Indiana Jones movies, all of which I have Just rewatched over the last few days Some of them I haven't seen for many years I might have changed my Opinions on some, maybe most of them And not as predictably as I Think y'all are gonna think I'm gonna Say One opinion might actually annoy people I hope it does And if Pat is up for it and he's not sickened by his Indiana Jones experience podcasting with me The following week Fingers crossed Because he has to go see it still (laughs) It might not be in theaters by the time he gets around to it we are going to tackle what I think, you and I maybe, um, that we both believe to be the unfairly maligned Flash movie. Hopefully it's not gotten by theaters. Because I think he said he hadn't seen it, although I thought he had seen it. Not sure. Whatever. Definitely Indiana Jones. Hopefully The Flash so I can actually go get on the record. If for no other reason, just so I can trash all the people who had an agenda with how they watched that movie. After we pass the midpoint of July, I think sometime around, I don't know, Brian, maybe sometime after July 18th, Mm -hmm. because around July 18th, I hear the first two episodes of the limited series Justified City Primeval will be released, and I think you and I have agreed that we're going to saddle up to discuss that one for sure, and as it's going to be a series, I'm pretty sure we're going to continue to cover that one throughout the summer. I do not know if we'll be discussing anything else. I've toyed with the idea of a few other shows. I think right now, at this point in time, best to keep things lean, clean, and simple. You know, we might spend a minute like, hey, did you watch this week's uh, What Are They Do in the Shadows? Yes, but who wants to talk about a comedy? All right, unless it's, you know, the bear. So, Because <laughs> it's not really a comedy. Hey, you know what? What the fuck. I'm in the process of promoting future podcasts. I would also like to encourage folks, once again, to seek out my other podcasting adventure. Scott Forgot the 80s. It's available everywhere that this podcast can be found. Actually, I think it's available in more places. Let's remember, there's only one team, my stupid name. The real reason I'm bringing it up is because... Not just because we just released an episode covering the movie Real Genius. If you haven't seen that flick, go rent it on Amazon Prime, then listen to the podcast. It's kind of a fun one. But later this month... Maybe late July Maybe early August It's really on me Frequent STVD co-host Jamie Joe Kelly Will finally be joining me To talk about another 80s movie That I'm sure I said I wouldn't be caught dead watching (laughs) And now I'm going to have to watch it And that film will be Adventures in Babysitting Oh boy Okay Well, you know I came up with a stupid podcast idea. Now I got to get tortured With these movies Elizabeth Shue She was cute I guess Alrighty then. So if you like this podcast, you will like hanging out on our Facebook page as well. It's the Serious TV Drama Podcast page. Like the page to join the conversation about well, pretty much anything we've talked about here and anything else that's related to TV, uh, you can bring up movies and other pop culture shit there as well. You can go to podbean.com you know, type in series TV podcast, whatever. You can find all 383 of our episodes there, but it would be really nice for any folks out there who haven't done so over the last several years if you want to Apple Podcast where you can rate and review our little pod, which, by the way it actually, I think I mentioned this on another podcast ah, who cares if I'm repetitive it we actually have better and higher number ratings and reviews than most other supposedly bigger podcast you know fuck them anyway i kid they're they're great but they're not um you can also follow us on instagram serious tv drama is one word and if you're still on the twitter and you haven't gone to threads because i don't have the time um <laughs> we're at stvd podcast that's stvd as in serious tv drama so please and thank you brian i think you helped make every second count on this podcast um, i suspect the listeners would agree as well Well, thank you, Chef, and good night, listeners. Thanks to everyone for listening, and until next time, let her rip.